On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are wading into US congressional politics with Netflix documentary Knock Down the House, diving into 16th century Anglo-Spanish politics for Stars Plays the Spanish Princess, and then presiding over the demise of Westerosi politics entirely as the army of the dead arrives to turn everyone into walking corpses in episode three of Game of Thrones. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, the show that reviews all the important shows that you need to know about, unless I'm off and Bosch drops on Amazon, in which case we ignore it completely and, you know, just don't acknowledge the fact that Detective Hieronymus Bosch is back on another case, and we should obviously drop everything and watch it immediately. Joining me on the show, as ever, are a pair of serial Bosch bashers, both of whom have undoubtedly been added to Titus Welliver's shit list, you know, pretty much permanently, I would guess. Uh, first up, a man who is, if I'm honest, still not talking to me after I abandoned him mid-interview last week, leaving him holding the mic and holding court with a trio of important famouses because I had to fuck off and join the queue for Avengers Endgame. Three hours early. It's Boyd Hilton. <laughs> You and, abandoned me in the middle of interviewing three really important people just so you could queue up for three hours. And by the way, I didn't queue up at all and got in and I got a better seat than you. It, first of all, you didn't. And second of all, how did it go? Did it all fall apart when I left? No, but I was really worried because when I pressed stop at the end of it, I, it didn't seem to have saved it. And I got, had a panic. And yeah, then, I that, said, uh, really yeah right. boy, that's a stop button. This is a microphone. That's yeah. a recorder. I'm yeah. off. And I ran. But they were all very impressed by your high nerdishness. The the chief person we were interviewing was also going to said screening. Yeah. Well, we can say it's Russell T. Davis. I mean, it's not a secret. It's yeah. true. Russell T. Davis, thought, who is deep, <laughs> deeply nerdy, thought the fact that you were going in so early to queue up for the film that he was incredibly excited about as well, Avengers, um, was all lovely. And then he went to see it and he sat in front of me. Yes, that was, uh, that was good times. Enjoyed that screening. It was, it was good. I spent nine hours in that cinema that day. It was, uh, it was good. It was all good stuff. Anyway, anyway, joining Boyd and myself... As ever, is our lady of perpetual northernness, taking a break from her daily grind of terrorising the Empire office and bellowing Martin Brennanisms at unsuspecting members of the public. <laughs> it's Terry White. So how can you still be upset about Bosch, like, what, two weeks later? Yes. This is James you're talking about. I know. I feel like Grudge people are encouraging Supreme. you on Twitter yes, and winding have. you up yes. to create a circumstance such as this where you're still sulking. Yeah. The annoying thing is if Bosch had come out this week, we would have easily been able to do it. It was just that the week it came out, it was a packed week of TV this week. There's hardly anything on at all. And we could have easily Also, who cares? (laughs) Season 5 of Bosch. What what you just said is the pilot TV podcast equivalent of I'm not a racist but. That's like, we didn't interview Bosch but. What you are is you are you are a Bosch. You are prejudiced against Bosch, and you are covering I it like up now Bosch. with reasoned I arguments. Am. Some of my best friends are Bosch. Just, <laughs> just in case you were wondering how much of a straight white cis man James Dyer is, I think we can tell from that uh, conversation that just occurred. I'm just saying, Bosch is brilliant. And you don't know what you're missing. Bish bash Bosch. Bish bash Bosch. Um, we should probably talk about what we're watching. Let me start. I've been watching Bosch. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> and Fire Funny Escape. Enough. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I've been watching Bosch. I've only seen the first couple. I, I have many, many more to go, but I'm obviously loving it to bits. Titus Welliver is God. His face is his warrant, <laughs> and it's excellent. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. How does it compare? I'm actually actually quite interested in this because I haven't watched any of it yet. And I have watched all of Bosch so far. Mm. How does it compare to previous seasons? Well, the first two episodes were great. Okay. <laughs> is it one overarching story? Oh, yeah, there always is. So, yeah, I'm just checking. I don't, I don't gone... hold with any of this Terry procedural. No, no. Like, like 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 sometimes shows like this suddenly go procedural. I'm gonna... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Are you trying to tell me you are claiming that police procedurals, i.e. Law and Order SVU, have, have no arc? Yes. Yeah, that that's is, bollocks. That I mean, a, you have your individual episodic arc, but then you also have the larger season arcs, do which are know? around a core of characters. Do you think? Yeah. What? Tell me. Tell me. When was the last time you watched Laura and Order for you? I mean, I've seen. <laughs> No episodes. But right. I'm sure it's I, great. I am going to text you. Actually, I'm going to tell you right now. You need to watch Behave, the episode with Jennifer Love Hewitt, who I believe you are a fanish of. And I don't know why I think that. <laughs> and um, you're going to watch it before next week. And you're gonna, we're going to have this conversation again. Because Hello. as much as I enjoy arguing with you when you're being entirely ignorant, <laughs> I find some of your best work is done on a bit of information. A very, very small bit mm-hmm. of information. No, OK, Grant, there's probably some kind of... Very loose overall art, but it's mainly self-contained because the nature of procedurals is, and why they're so successful, why they're so popular. Oh, he's going to oh procedural explain. Is because is because it doesn't require commitment on the part of the viewer, and they don't feel they've missed out on a lot of story. They can jump actually. in and jump out. That's not actually true because something like Lord Order at SVU has a very consistent and loyal audience, most of which have been with that show for over ten years. So now that sounds a lot like the kind of thing that I would say based on no actual external information no, whatsoever. <laughs> I can't believe you're being so simplistic about this whole thing, James. I remember House, right? We all love House, yeah. That House is your classic yep. weekly procedural, yes, medical procedural, which had a brilliant arcs of his relationships, his relationship. You yep. know, they were all about lupus. That's what made it brilliant. Now, that's what makes procedurals reach another level for me. When they start, really start to fly, is when they incorporate a brilliant arc. Yes, but this is what you're saying. This is what procedurals become good when they start to emulate proper television. No, but they do both. They do, you can do both. They don't technically, generally. Oh, generally. oh no, God, no, okay. explain off. Okay, okay. Explain occasionally off. it may happen, but but the nature of the procedure, they are designed... <laughs> it's time to just go <laughs> blip, 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 to make noises. Oh, it's noise time. Oh, my God. Okay, so I've lost that argument by virtue of Terry's... Uh, yeah. What is that? Is that like a filibuster? What would you, how would you describe that? I'd call it as a noise I hear whenever your mouth moves. Fine. Anyway, that's Bosch explained. Okay, so Bosch and also uh, Titus Welliver appears in seasons two and three of Sons of Anarchy, and my rewatch has reached season three. <laughs> so I've been getting a Welliver in stereo, which has been quite exciting. <laughs> my rewatch has reached is one of the great. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm loving my Sons of Anarchy rewatch. It's brilliant, but but that's not what I want to talk about because frankly about? that's going to be going on for ages. Well, neither uh, of those two things you mentioned. You've got another thing. Yeah, no, Go I've got on. two more things. Oh my god! So I, I need to talk about the victim, which oh. you have both seen. Oh, yeah. I finally, finally watched the yeah. finale of that and oh my fucking god is that one of the best things I've seen in ages like yeah. the the emotional heft of the last 15-20 minutes of that final episode was like nothing I've ever seen Do you was think ex- it was quite controversial in play I was saying to Boyd that some of the um, without being too specific because I think there are still people who will will want to catch up with yeah, it on iPlayer mm. and uh there are some very specific mentions of the crime, some quite kind of, um, not gratuitous necessarily, but a lot of detail in some of the things that happen in the um, in this final face-off. And I was surprised they went to places that they did. Mm. And I found that quite unnerving. I, I still am not too sure how I 
feel about that, I have to say. Yeah, I hadn't seen it when you mentioned that to me, the final. So you mentioned that. So I was kind of primed for a slightly controversial way of dealing with that whole crime and the echoes that it has of real yes. life crimes. But I did... I, I thought it was fine I, in the end. I thought I actually thought th- what was important was the differences. That this felt it was dealing with and wanted to deal with the the actual the detail of what this boy did. Yes. And I thought that so I thought it was valid because it was different and and there were certain things that he did that that didn't echo yes. previous crimes and that what, that's what made it work for me. And I thought part of the whole incredible power of it and we said we said before that it went from like a you know what seemed like a not standard what seemed like a decent ITV crime thriller turned into something extraordinarily yeah. kind of deep and and impactful and powerful and commenting on all kinds of things. I th- it was incredible and I thought that was part mm. of that process really. Yeah. Both of them, like both of those yeah, characters, incredible. the performances were She's a whole other level. So the, the, I, I genuinely, I think the victim will absolutely be in my top 10 of this year somewhere. Mm. I, I, Did I say I, ITV? It was on BBC, wasn't it? Yeah. BBC, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, thought, I, I thought that was deliberate. I thought you were saying <laughs> no, what no, seemed no. like oh, an ITV no, not at all. transforming no. itself like into a, BBC. Right, no, no, I meant like a mainstream, you know, nine o'clock, BBC, crime, BBC or ITV crime thriller but became something completely incredible. Yeah, very, very good. So the last thing oh, yeah. I want to talk about is... Are we still on what... I mean, yes. yeah. what James watched yeah. is W-J-W. now the whole fucking yeah. episode. Yeah. Carry on, then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> my rewatch of. My rewatch of. No, uh, the season finale of season two of Star Trek Discovery. Oh, and yeah. I finally got to see it. We hadn't, because when we recorded last week, we weren't able, or I say... We, I was going to say... I wasn't able <laughs> to watch it before. We, but it was it was a hell of a thing. A hell of a thing. And I, I'm very, very sorry to say to all of our listeners, we will not be doing a Star Trek Discovery spoiler special yeah. season two. Have you been snubbed? Mainly because it would just be me in a room on my own talking about the show because neither of you two have any interest. Except I have interest. 100%. You keep you, you don't listen. I've watched the f- half of this season. I just need to catch up. And I honestly, I am a huge fan of the show. It's brilliant. It's such a huge fan that you've left half the season. I've got watch. other things to do. I have to watch every single new program on TV. Priorities, Boyd. Priorities. It's I've got time for it. I've my rewatch is going this far. <laughs> Sons of Bloody Anarchy. Unlike you. Well, so instead of instead of doing a spoiler special, I'm going to be appearing on the Spotlight Star Trek oh, podcast. Yes. And I'm going to talk about it on there instead. Oh, I've been on that. Because I feel that will be a more friendly, forgiving audience. Do you? Yeah. Uh, well, oh my God. What if they think James isn't a big enough geek? It could happen, actually. I might I be think out it's of my unlikely. Depth. Oh my God. That would be amazing. Can you imagine if I start trying to trek smile? I think you'll find that. It, and then they just reposting Klingon. And yeah. I'm like, oh! I think you're going to get on like a house on fire. What if you get out james It could happen. Yeah. It really it could happen. happen. But it was really, really good. And if you haven't seen season two of Star Trek Discovery, do watch it. It's a very, very clever ending, uh, which ties up an arc which has spanned the entire season, unlike a procedural. Anyway. The, uh, the previously named Russell T. Davis uh, did tell me he absolutely loved it as well. Good, He's a big fan of that series. He loved the ending. And I take his word even more than yours. <laughs> fair enough. I mean. That seems fair. Um, what have you been watching, Boyd? I have been watching. I, I'm just going to mention one thing, actually. Well, apart from um, Line of Duty, which we should probably mention in terms of as we as we as this goes out, people will have seen the penultimate episode. They will. And, um, which is fantastic. But, but we've seen the last We one. might have seen well, the last I one. Well, I haven't yet. Okay. Oh, okay. It's this Fine. weekend, so Fine. don't look at me. All I would say is Anna Maxwell Martin has arrived in the penultimate Whoa. episode. And she, I mean, the casting of this show cannot, it's so brilliant. And I think casting is 
an absolute skill in art, which is why people like clamour, don't they, for Oscar recognition casting. for casting, casting directors, and yeah. like And every single person, what, what casting, 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 casting. casting. I'm from Essex. Um, it, it's just, every every person is perfect, and but she arrives, Anna Moxa Martin, and. Within a minute, you're like you know exactly who she is. She's commanding the scene. She's funny. She's absolutely formidable, Ap- incredible. And you see more without wanting to give anything away. A lot more of her in the final episode, and it's just fantastic. So she's brought a whole new level of brilliance to an already incredible show. It's- it should be stated that Boyd wanted to review the finale in this episode. Okay. To which point, With no spoilers. Yeah. But, and Boyd's idea of spoilers of mine being slightly different. Boyd was like, oh, that'd be fine. All we'll say is, and he said, blah, 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 blah. And he said, Terry, that would be fine, wouldn't it? That wouldn't ruin it. And you were like, yes, you've just ruined it. Okay. Thank you, Boyd. Yeah. So so all of you listening, you have me to thank yep. for Boyd not also ruining it for you. Fine. Um, fine. But on well, let her... me just say the thing I said was not in the official list of BBC spoilers that we get sent. Well, the BBC needs to check their <laughs> fucking privilege when it comes to spoilers because I classed it. You talk, you basically revealed the format of the episode which is arguably not a standard format for a TV show or a finale and is not something we've seen in Line of Duty before. So therefore I would consider it a spoiler. Okay. Um, she is remarkable. In the penultimate episode which is the one I have watched um, uh, her delivery is incredible. She has this rhythm yes. the way she delivers yeah. dialogue that is just absolutely captivating. I couldn't stop watching her. Yeah. I think she's remarkable. Uh, incredible. So there's that. And the only other thing I was going to mention is Veep, which we reviewed the first of the series um, and I've been keeping up and I watched the latest episode. There are only a few more episodes to go. There's only seven in this last ever series and it's getting better and better as I kind of predicted it would when we reviewed the, pre- the season premiere. It's now, go- it's now touching upon Trump quite explicitly but in a brilliantly clever way and just as when you think you know how it's going to turn how like she's campaigning to get uh, to become president again she's up against her big rival played by Hugh Laurie whom she, with whom she had an affair and that whole so there's a kind of political slash personal thing going on parallel and there's the gigantic moron who is the Trump figure as well at the same time another candidate and there's kind of like a more left wing um, person of colour female candidate It's so it, it manages to touch upon current American politics in the most brilliant smart in yet unpredictable way and it's hilariously funny at the same time and of course Julia Louis-Dreyfus is one of the greatest people in all of humanity so Veep Anything else? Or uh, no, I mean, obviously not, apart from every TV show that comes out, every TV show comes out, and I haven't had time to do a rewatch of any fucking program because <laughs> I have some semblance of a life. <sighs> Terry, so someone, think- can I just say, mm. and I'm not. This is not me interrupting you to <laughs> mansplain what you've been watching. Well, it is. Well, I mean, it is. It literally is. <laughs> but someone on Twitter whose name I forget suggested that because I so regularly bang on about tedious things like Picard and science fiction, we should have a regular spot, like a Terry spot, where Terry just talks about her thing. Uh, I mean, I I thought that we already had a, like a lot of that yeah. on here, but apparently you're not getting enough. Do I need, I need my own corner? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that tokenism? <laughs> Terry's tedious documentary <laughs> corner. If you have your own corners, then what do yeah. I want? You're, you have a square. You're the square to our circles. Um, so, this week has been a big week in our world, James, hasn't it? Because it was um, uh, the release of Avengers Endgame. Yep. Um, it's been a fairly uh, hectic week. I.e., I haven't watched a lot, actually. But I did watch, for reasons that I can't quite remember, um, 
Dirty John, The oh, Dirty why? Truth. Didn't we agree that wasn't good? Uh, hang on. So I'm not talking about oh, the, yeah, the, um, oh, the... I'm talking about the documentary. Oh, so obviously um, it was based originally on a podcast that was meant to be incredibly good. So we all thought Dirty John was um, shit. So I thought it came up in my Netflix algorithm, which obviously is the worst algorithm in the world. <laughs> and um, Dirty John is a really quite poorly made documentary which interviews his former girlfriends, ex-wives, police detectives. Um, and essentially, you go, oh, it's a Netflix documentary, but it'll be a bit like the Fire Festival thing and it'll be, you know, done with real precision and wit and flair and um, none of those things, but um, uh, really fascinating interviews, but definitely not worth anyone's time. All right. So yet again, my uh, what I've been watching is something that I didn't mean to watch, accidentally watched, didn't really enjoyed, but still sat through the entire thing until the end. It says a lot about your personality type, I think. Yeah, I just kind of go, well, I've just got to endure it now, haven't I? Mm-hmm. Instead of literally turning it off. What is that That's about? the female condition in a nutshell, isn't it? Really? Isn't it just, brother? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I have a confession to make. Oh, God. Uh, obviously, this week, I have spent most of my time either queuing for, watching, talking about then re-watching Avengers Endgame. Uh-huh. Uh, to that end, I didn't have time to select or watch a comedy for this week's show. Whoa. Oh. So, Letting everyone down. To compensate for that, oh. I thought I might instead recommend a comedy of my own. Oh, blimey. Yeah. Yeah, not like a banshee. Can I just say, okay, let me... Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) So, a segment that was created to get you to watch something you wouldn't normally watch and to try and turn you on to comedy and educate you and inform you... You have now flipped it to be you comedy explaining <laughs> or just telling people what to watch, which is pretty much the rest of the podcast. <laughs> You've now spun the segment, which is actually meant to be about you being told something into you telling everybody else. Bait and switch. Um, no. That's remarkable. Let me get, this is, this is like is a class, toxic this is relationship. That's it what really this is. is. This like, is brilliant. And let me guess, is it Red Dwarf? No. Oh. Gaslighting. 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 We could do a new section called Gaslighting with James Dyer. Yeah. Make James gaslight us. All right. I bite. What the fuck is this program? I would like to recommend Dr. Horrible's Sing Along Blog. Well, I mean. What do you mean, well, I mean? Do you know what that is? Is that related to Dr. Terrible's House of Horror, which was a Steve Coogan thing that was actually one of the worst things ever? Not at all. Okay. No. So this was. Terry, do you know this? No. Okay. Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. This is a web show that Joss Whedon did to keep himself busy during the writer's strike of 2008. Uh, And I thought it was great. It had Nathan Fillion in it, uh, Felicia Day, and Neil Patrick Harris. And it was a musical. It was was a short thing. Great songs, loads of fun. And I definitely remember laughing when they sang the song about the head of the Evil League of Evil, who was Bad Horse, a.k.a. the Thoroughbred of Sin. Bad Horse. You found the peak... Peak James comedy choice, yes. Yeah. You have I found know nothing it. about comedy, yeah. um, so I'm going to use that segment where you tell me about comedy to tell you about comedy, even though I know nothing yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, it's not a banshee, so I'm. Well, it kind of is not, a banshee uh, no. in disguise yes, as well. No, it's a banshee. No. banshee in disguise. Banshee in oh, disguise. God, here we go. I have no interest in, in price matching this one for you, so you're going to have to go and <laughs> oh, find out. Oh, is that your the own. definition it, of a banshee? He has not in your head. DVD exchange. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right, fine. Well, that was it. That's Sex all I got. Change. With a little luck, we'll return for a proper funny or die next week. With great luck. Yeah. We all hope <laughs> and pray. Should we, should we have some news? Yes. Go on then. 
I want to start by talking about the virtues. Um, I don't know why I'm saying it in that voice, because um, it's certainly not that kind of TV show. So this is the um, Shane Meadows Channel 4. Um, James, stop it. Uh, <laughs> this, the, oh my the, God. the news is that there is a trailer this week, which was actually great. So this is the first TV thing that Shane has done since This Is England, uh, 90. He co-wrote it with Jack Thorne, um, and it is starring Stephen Graham, who's obviously also recently of Line of Duty. Fabulous. Um, Helen Behan, who has been in Shane's work before, she played the nurse in This Is England and who is actually a real real nurse in real life, Um, not a trained actor, as many of his uh, talent aren't. It is incredible. So it's about a guy who basically, without giving too much away, goes to try and find his long lost sister. And it's about some kind of repressed awfulness that happened in his early life. You will be surprised to hear, James. It's is I've seen the first two episodes. We will be reviewing it down the line. It's coming out in May. Must I don't we? believe it's dated yet. It is a brilliant piece of television. Stephen Graham is just, I think, one of the absolute finest dramatic actors working today. Um, I interviewed Shane and the cast at a BAFTA event recently and Shane spoke so movingly about where this came from from him, um, some personal events in his own life, how that inspired him to kind of make this. He's been nursing this story for over a decade. Phenomenal. If you haven't seen the trailer, it is online. It's actually on the Empire website um, and it will and it shows you a little bit actually of some of the differences in um, filmmaking approach and the kind of visual identity of this, which is actually really great and different um, and I think it's going to be one of Channel 4's kind of best shows for a while I can't wait I agree I've seen it already to, 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 to spoiler because we've both seen the first I didn't get to go to your BAFTA launch because I was at Arsenal but I would have been there but everyone said it was incredible and it is, I'm going to be fascinated to think what you, what, see what you think of it James I can't wait for because it's maybe, so not your thing if you could tell but me brilliant. what week you're reviewing it and maybe I'll contrive to be off that week in about two weeks time yeah is it the fact that it's got true emotion and feeling in it? Does that put you off? I'll tell you what, why don't we do it and you talk about that and then I'll review Bosch while you review that. Well, why don't I review Fire Escape and you review The Virtues? <laughs> that would be great. That would be brilliant. That almost sounds like a deal I'm prepared to sign on for, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's going um, good. I've got some news. Go on. Uh, executive producer Michael Shabon has revealed in an Instagram post... That filming has officially started for CBS All Access's upcoming Jean-Luc Picard series, Picard. Have you forgot Michael Chabon is doing this? This This is incredible. Michael Chabon, if I said this before, is one of my very, very favourite authors. And his book, The Yiddish Policeman's Mm. Union, is that what it's called? Yeah. Is a masterpiece. And he is one of the... Is he the the main showrunner of this series? He's an exec producer. That is phenomenal. Has he done Star Trek stuff before? I don't know, to be honest. I genuinely don't know. I should know. I Honestly, don't know. this is it is one of the most bizarre things. Yeah. That he's a genius literary writer who is now going to be producing uh, the Star Trek program. But, but you're missing the point, Boyd. The point is, oh, we, yeah. well, we you... now live in a world in which at least part of an episode of Picard exists. Oh, okay. All right. Is that your point? Yeah. Right, okay. Fine. I'm more excited about the Michael Chabon factor. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, I've got another piece of news, which is not Picard-related. This was a big thing, and it's not Mandalorian-related. It is that. It was announced on Twitter last week, on Wednesday, to be precise, that as of last Wednesday, every single episode of The Shield is available to stream on all four. And that is exciting, because it means you can save your £3 or whatever it is in the pure exchange, and you can just watch it on all four. Yep. And so there is yeah. no excuse for every single one of our listeners not to now watch the whole of The Shield. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Karen, no. how's your rewatch going along that you were planning? Uh, I watched one and then got distracted by probably something I had to do for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it's amazing. I, I mean, I presume if it does come off where we have a streaming platform, which is for the main channels, they end up clubbing together on that or they do individual ones. You get the sense that this is kind of a thing that may end one day in terms of just such free access is incredible. Mm. I had the same reaction when they put all of Dawson's Creek on there. <laughs> I tweeted about it. My Twitter went mental. Like the fact that they are willing to put entire, you know, several seasons of a TV show up there, I think is incredible. I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. For free, yeah, for free. Yeah. yeah. It's did, really good. Did I ever tell you that uh, I never watched Dawson's Creek when it was originally on? I binge-watched the entire series over the course of two weeks in my mid-twenties. Why? Were you lonely? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah. I was <laughs> single yeah. and I watched the whole of Dawson's Creek. But that's such a weird way to do it. I grew up with Dawson's Creek, so it, it kind of mm. got me through school and then I think it was on or finished when I was at university or in my early 20s and you grew up with it and you found yourself kind of going through those life changes when they did, losing their virginity, parents kind of splitting up, um, falling out with friends, graduating school and you just experienced all of that in two weeks. Yeah, it was Why? very intense. What I'm fascinated. What motivated that initial rewatch? I can't actually rewatch? remember. I, I think, do you know what? I think it was... Someone in the office just mentioned it. I thought, I've never seen that. People do bang on about that. I should watch that. And so I got a box set and I just ploughed on through it. The whole thing in a very, very condensed period of time. Wow. Wow. I interviewed um, various cast members of Dawson's Creek kind of at its height, in the middle of its success. And it was one of the first times I'd interviewed some American, proper American Mm. TV stars. And honestly, the difference, because up until then, I interviewed lots of plenty of British kind of, frankly... You know, downbeat, depressive actors, and who are like you know often difficult to deal with and socially inept. And then you meet and there were these Americans, and they were like the nicest, most brilliant people ever. It practically changed my life. That was so nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, but I mean that show, right? So like Pacey. Pacey. I am a 39-year-old woman and I still quote things about Pacey's and Joe's relationship. So the fact yeah. that he bought her a wall yeah. and that wall was an expression of him understanding her true creative desire. Like, and he, But he bought the wall and then allowed her to do whatever she wanted with it and but so didn't take away her independence. And, oh, I mean, you know, yeah. Pacey ruined every woman of a certain age mm-hmm. because we all have completely, fundamentally in our hearts, we have fundamental kind of um, way too high expectations of men all because of Pacey Witter. Yeah, it was really Pacey's Creek, wasn't it? it was yeah, all it was Pacey. Pacey's Creek. Yeah, yeah. Pacey's Creek, like, fuck off, Dawson. Yeah. yeah, and now Pacey's in the affair and it's similarly kind of, you yeah. know, people still in Dawson love. was a smug twat. I think that's maybe why I liked him. So. That was quite clever, actually, that casting, because well, he was a smug right? twat. Yeah. And he was yeah. a geek and he had a, his Spielberg posters in his room yes. and, like, yes. you know, yes. he was the guy who was desperate yeah, to be the, a director. Yeah, he's the showrunner, isn't he? What's his name? Um, yeah, and, yeah. and that's how it ends. Right, so how yeah. it ends is that he gets a, a meeting with Spielberg, yeah. and yes, gets his yeah. life dream realised. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, that was good news. What was the other? You had wasn't you have the second thing you were going to say? I think I've said my. Oh, thing. okay. I mean, I could tell you I, about the Nickelodeon Star Trek animated series. No, if you really want to hear God about don't. it. Uh, I was going to mention the first trailer for Catch Twenty Two, the very yeah. very exciting George Clooney um, produced, directed, and starring in Hulu's version of the classic Joseph Helen novel, one of my favourite novels, also one of my favourite films. The Mike Nichols film, original film, is a brilliant piece of 
black comedy. Um, and it's interesting, the trailer, because so this is going to be on Channel 4 um, this summer, later this summer. It's on. It's very soon on Hulu, but I think we'll have to wait about a month or so for it to come on Channel 4. But what I was most intrigued by, it, was, it feels very um, similar to the film. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a, it is a dark com- black comedy set in World War II about a kind of... A, a, a kind of rebellious figure, Yossarian, who gets his balls blown off in, a, in an accident and all that. And But, the, but everything about the trial, I mean, I really liked it, but it did feel very much sticking to what happens in the book, what happened in the film. And so I guess, or I guess I felt like what they'll do, I guess, with this is it will be, you know, multi-part, more of a deep dive. It will just be more kind of even more faithful to the novel than the film was because the film had to do it all in a couple of hours. But I still thought it, was, it looked very exciting. And the main character is Christopher Abbott, who was brilliant in Girls. Remember the first few seasons of Girls? He was fantastic. Who was he in that? What's her name's boyfriend? Oh, oh, oh what's Marnie's. her name? Yes. Oh, Marnie's yeah. boyfriend. And he left you know, under a bit of a cloud. He did leave right? under a bit of a cloud, yeah. but he did come back for one brilliant episode. He you did, yeah, yes. when he's a smackhead. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. So he's, he, he's the lead character, and George Clooney is kind of like uh, is a sporting role, but Christopher Abbott looks brilliant in it. And Hugh Laurie's in it, and Carl Chalmers in it. It's very, very exciting. Exciting. Um, Game of Thrones, you hear one of the Game of Thrones spin-off, at least we know, isn't happening. So Brian Cogman announced that his proposed uh, Game of Thrones spin-off has been uh, axed. They've decided really? not to move forward with that. I don't know if you remember, they, I think they, like uh, Cogman was, and Jane Goldman and a bunch of other people, Brian Helgeland, I think was another one, were each developing... There were five mm-hmm. of them, each developing a Game of Thrones spin-off to see which would... It was like a weird version of The Race Apprentice. Race of the spin-offs. Yeah. Uh, it was like a strange sort of reality show. Uh, and it says, while Goldman's is going ahead, um, Brian Cogman's is not. He was a bit sad, but he's getting on with it. Is that the official quote? He was a bit sad. <laughs> no, but I'm reading between the lines for you. Okay. Yeah, I'm, 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 you know, I'm paraphrasing. Um, I want to talk about that picture that was released for What If, the Netflix show. This is the original series, which I hadn't really heard anything about. Yeah. And then I saw the picture, and it is basically almost an entire rip-off of... Well, rip-off? Um, <laughs> looks incredibly like the shot of Sharon Stone in Basic it Instinct. Um, so all we kind of know so far is Netflix of calling it a neo-noir social thriller, um, exploring the ripple effect of what happens when acceptable people start doing unacceptable things. No clue to what those unacceptable things are, you know, doing a giant shit on the floor. Like, I'm not sure what that is. Um, but It'll it's, definitely be that. It is an original series. Um, I think there is some kind of indecent proposal-y thing mm. is being hinted at, and it stars Renee Zellweger. Uh, and quite a big cast, actually. So we know very little, but that picture certainly kind of piqued people's interest. They must have known they were doing that deliberately, right? It's so yeah, similar. Without doubt. It's so similar. The white dress, the crossed legs, which look like they're about to be uncrossed. Presumably, she's wearing no one's This, wear, this cetera, comes to us yeah. from someone, uh, from other people behind Revenge, doesn't it? Oh, does it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Do you remember, did you see Revenge? Had Emily Van Camp and yeah. Adeline yes. Stowe in it. Yeah. It started out really fun. In and many then got ways, a bit the trashiest show yeah. ever created. And then it was very watchable. It was very watchable. But then, like, after, I don't know, third or fourth season, it got like it got out of hand. I think I made it halfway through the second one well, before I realised yeah. that there was a whole big wide world Yeah, but that doesn't, make, that doesn't make <laughs> sense because Revenge was very pulpy and yes. very, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still excited though, even though you're right, it does look like basically, but basically, instinct in a ten-hour TV series, I'm up for that. 
Yeah, I'd have that. Sliver, like yeah. any of them. Sliver. Oh, God, Sliver. Sliver. Yeah. Classic. Oh, yes. Well, that was the other Baldwin. Sexy, Billy Baldwin. Do you remember those? Yeah. That whole raft of sexy, kind of noir, yes. thrillery, yeah. that was all. That was he. He was a voyeur, wasn't he? He had cameras in all their apartments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. What was yeah. the one? Uh, Body of Evidence. Oh, um, yes. Classic. Sex thrillers. Yes, 90s soft porn is what this is, essentially. Oh, my God. I mean, Basic Instinct, I watched it again recently for reasons that I can't remember. And oh, my God. It's incredible. It's just like, it is porn. Yeah, I rewatch it regularly. I love that film. (laughs) I'm sorry. Hang on a second. My rewatch is Basic Instinct on on a semi annual basis. You watch it, rewatch it on the reg. Rush it on the reg. Yeah, there's lots of films I rewatch it. No, it's a, it's a brilliantly made film. I will not have a word said against it. But uh-huh. I mean, it's fucking preposterous and brilliantly done. The whole film, boy. Every just, single moment, just, just certain bits. No, <laughs> it's not for dirty reasons. It's, it's for it's for the scene when Michael Douglas goes to the club in the deep V-neck jumper. Oh my god! If I yes. come round your house, <laughs> my house. If I come round your house, is there going to be an ice pick next to the bed? Yeah, there could well be. Yeah. Do you use it for special moments? <laughs> Jesus, wait, I'm not a psychopath. I am not James. I'm a <laughs> psychopath. <laughs> So James masturbates with an ice pick. Oh, my God. She's gone there. She's gone full on. This is just... Anyway, so Game of Thrones' Jerome Flynn is going to be in uh, The Dark Tower. (laughs) Robson and Jerome? He's going to be in what? He's he's in The Dark Tower. Um, Is he? Yes. He of being in the foursome in episode one of season eight of Game of Thrones. Yes, 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 he was. Yes, yes. He was. as Bron. Yes, yes. Uh, Jerome Flynn. But he's going to be in the Dark Tower. So Dark Tower is the uh, the Amazon series based on Stephen King. Sort of, I was about about to say, but it's not even a book. It's a series of books by Stephen King. But this was originally going to be kind of uh, a tie-in to the Idris Elba film, the 2017 Idris Elba film. And then that and film then, came and out. And then that film came yeah. out, and people saw it. And now they've decided this will not be tied into that yes. at all. And instead, it will be a kind of a more book faithful adaptation uh, of the story. Have you read all of those books? He asked, knowing that, of course, you have. You must have done. No, I've oh. never read any oh of the Dark Oh my god! Wow. OMG! I know, I know. I'm shocked. In fact, in fact, I have only ever read one Stephen King book. Which one? Blimey. The Green Mile. Do you remember it was serialised when it first came out? And I read it in a serialised way. I thought that was like in a book of short stories, wasn't it? No, no, that no. Was a they were released oh. as little novellas. Like, as, uh, I think they were in okay. six instalments, and right. they came out, I think, one every month or every six weeks. God, I've read more Stephen out, King books than you have. Yeah, I don't, know, I, I don't know why I've never read uh, a lot of Stephen King, but, mm. uh, okay. but that, that was it. I own a few, but I've not read them. Well, that's not enough. Sorry. Right, so that was a bit of news. Anyone else? Anyone? Have you heard about the, the Nevers? Yes, the Joss Whedon Joss show. Whedon show. Mm. They confer various casting, but um, it's it's all happening. It's going to be on HBO. Laura Donnelly, That's right. who is the Irish actress who's in Tolkien, coming out it's this an week. An Outlander. Mm. She is the lead role, and it's all about... She's the leader of a gang of Victorian women with unusual abilities who go on a mission to change the world. It's Wacko. like, but it's almost like bits of those sentences don't go together. No. It's like those words in isolation mm. work, and you put them all together, Indeed. and it sounds like gobbledygook. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's Joss Whedon. It's some kind of fantasy thick m- mixing with period drama. It's going to be on HBO. Laura Donnelly's really good, you know, and it's called The Nevers. Yeah, The Nevers. Mm. Not not The Nevers, which is a very yeah. Not Joss Whedon put you in The Nevers. <laughs> I do not know what you refer to. I don't know. There was no subtext there, no, Your Honour. There was, no, there was nothing. Nothing no. at all. Moving hastily on, um, uh, Better Call Saul is ending after season six. Uh, oh, yeah. Giancarlo Esposito, a.k.a. Gus Fring, announced that it was... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. I don't know why that was... <laughs> it was the way he said uh, Gus Fring. Gus Fring. Uh, yeah, he said that there will Frosting. be six seasons and then it will six and out. <laughs> 
six now. Uh, six. Uh, oh, sorry. So six is going to be the last sort. Better call Saul. Six season. Last yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, that's fair enough because they are. We, we, we've reached the point already, haven't we? Where he's kind of turned into. I wouldn't know. I've never watched Bell's oh, the first season. Well, we've reached the point anyway where where he's turning into the character from Breaking Bad. So right. there's not much more they yeah, could do. Yeah, so yeah, it has yeah, to yeah. wind up. Yeah. It's a brilliant show. Now, now he's, is he Saul yet? He's, that's what I'm saying. He's pretty much is Saul now. Yeah. But is he going by or is he still slipping Jimmy? Um, he's still slipping Jimmy, but I think okay. it's kind of yeah. We're on the cusp. I think at the beginning of this season we're on the cusp. Yeah. Okay. Is that it for news? Do we have any any more? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, a stuff I could say, but let's you know, let's not spin news out too long. Let's it's not. often a flaw in the podcast, isn't it? What that we just bang on about news too much? <laughs> yeah. All right, fair well, enough. you do. <laughs> I love the way I get victimized now in stereo. It used to be just Terry who abused victimized. me. Victimized. Yes, victimized. Oh my god. Can I also point out my massive first world problem here? So we're recording this week's podcast in our new studio, which is mm-hmm. actually in the building in which we work, instead of us having to. Which is a bit like like the Nostromo, funding. isn't it? An alien. Yeah. It's kind of dark and like with weird kind of piping going on. The irony, of course, we're in the studio but not using the studio equipment because it doesn't work <laughs> properly. So we're actually using our own equipment, our portable equipment in the studio. But you two are sitting very far apart and I'm quite close. So I'm having to do this weird back and forth <laughs> thing with my head, which I'm finding very disconcerting. I'd like to... What would you like us to do? Sit closer together. Um, no. So no. I don't need to turn. No, that's not going to... The, no, the entitlement. <laughs> yeah. You, I have yeah. to now yeah. turn my head. Don't make yeah. me turn my you head. You are the Joe Crowley. We'll come to it later. Oh. 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 <laughs> Snap. That's good. That's a good reference that none of our listeners will understand we'll at this point. It. But we'll get to it. Reviews. Let's go on to reviews. First up this week is The Spanish Princess. This is the successor to the White Queen and indeed the White Princess uh, in the ongoing adaptation of Philippa Gregory's historical novels. Uh, Those two series concern themselves with feuding Plantagenets in the War of the Roses, whereas this follow-up instead centres on Catherine of Aragon, who is the Spanish Infanta and famously the first wife of Henry VIII. Uh, Charlotte Hope stars as the title character, beginning the series on her journey to Britain, where she has, for all intents and purposes, been sold off to marry Prince Arthur, who is Henry's older brother. What do we think of that? Boyd. I quite like this show. So this, the, the origin of this whole thing. What are you laughing at already? I'm already laughing at Boyd's faint praise. No, he's faint. I, I mean, quite like, like this. Like, well, it means Boyd. it's terrible. No, it's not terrible. I, so this goes back to, the, I think the origin of the series is quite intriguing. So The White Queen was the first one, which was a BBC yes. One slash Stars co-production. It was yes. quite funny because um, Stars in America is like a, a, one of those cable channels. And it's it, for me, it's like USP is. We're even more booby yeah. And yeah. nakedy and sexy and violenty than HBO and Showtime. Spartacus is on right. there. It's yeah. It is the home of gratuitous mm. nudity. So in that first series, the BBC edits of the show were completely different to the stars edits. You know about this? No. So, but yeah, because it was prime time BBC One, nine o'clock on a Sunday night. So they had like the clean version, deboobed. Yeah, it was deboobed basically. Yeah. That's so you watch it on stars, you watch it, and you had a pretty different experience. <laughs> it was quite weird. So it, I thought, well, I was thought it's a bit dull on BBC One. And then you watch the ne- the other version. Oh, this is the whole point of it which is that it's quite a kind of, it's a freewheelingly entertaining, fun version of what I think so, the original novels are as well. So but it's, it's all about sex and violence. So and BBC viewers got a kind of fairly sedate, kind of Downton-esque Sunday yeah, night experience, right. whereas people in America got a kind of Boyd Hilton basic instinct experience. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. I see. So now, by now, this is the third, we're on to this third series, and now BBC is completely withdrawn from the whole thing. But weirdly, this first episode, there was a bit of gratuitous boobage, wasn't tiny, there? Tiny bit in, of in bath the bath, boobage. bath time boobage. Mm. But weirdly, it's now like 
like the original BBC One thing. It was so, but I'm still, I, so I still think it's entertaining. Emma Frost is like the showrunner. I think she's a good writer. Lisa McGee has been involved before, you know, mm. of, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what's it called? That, that brilliant program <laughs> of um, I mean, Derry Girls. Derry Girls. I'll yes. do that again. Lisa McGee of Derry Girls fame has been involved. So it's got good people working on it, good yeah. writers. It's got a really good cast. Um, it's got the, my favourite person in it, I have to say, is Oof. Angus Imre. Oh. I what? thought you were going to say Harriet Walter. No, Harriet Walter's great. But <laughs> Angus Imry, who is Cillian Imry's son, who was in the film recently about King Arthur, and he is really fun in the show. He is really kind of, he kind of camps it up. He's a really interesting figure. And it's all about, it's trying to get to what were these historical figures really like? What must have been like to kind of deal with power plays and all of that? It's slightly Game of Thronesy, but I don't think it's one of those shows that's only there because of Game of Thrones. And I found it quite entertaining and enjoyable. It has, it felt to me, despite obviously a slight difference in setting, it has a lot of Downton in it. And I don't mean that in that Laura Carmichael, Lady Edith, is yes. in this, which of course she is, in that it has that, you know, like when she just, when the Infanta arrives and it's all very British posh looking down on her being really sort of cutting and passive aggressive, you know, there's a lot of that going on. There is. Uh, and I feel like if you enjoy that, you might enjoy this. My my thing with this is, and I, I'm sure it will will improve. But Charlotte Hope, who plays uh, Catherine in this, came across as a bit of a stroppy twat. Oh and yeah. I I I I found her a little bit challenging. She's not whinging about the weather. She's whinging about the mud, and then whinging about not having a sleep. And it was just I I found it quite difficult to really care about what was. I mean, th- that may well change. I have no doubt that's historically accurate. Yeah. But. Yeah, I thought that was fair enough because I think she would be like that. I, I believed what she, I know what you mean, you know, but it didn't bother me there because I think I thought well, okay, she would be like that. And there are other likable characters. There are, and I, Harriet Walter I thought was Harriet brilliant was as uh, always great. Margaret Beaufort. Yes, uh, she was the queen of passive aggression. She in was. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's lots to like, and some of the supporting roles are, are interesting in terms of there's a lot going on. You can see a lot of sort of like B, C, D, and E plots here getting quite interesting with the sub characters. So I imagine there's lots to unpack. I didn't see the White Queen or the White Princess. So I don't really know how it relates to that. I'm pretty certain you don't need to have seen those, given that oh, this, God, no. you know, this, it's a different part of history, isn't it? Yeah, completely. So. There, there is a feminist thing going on in all of this as well, by the way. It's okay. all about, you know, a lot of it is about women entering a very, very male world mm. and kind of, you know, and, and giving them what for to some extent, seeing it, how it affects them. So I think that's one of the kind of unique things about the whole saga, if you like, is that it's definitely all from a feminist perspective. I hadn't picked that up from the first well, I episode. Think you will eventually. Even you will. Okay, thank Terry, what did you think? Um, I, um, I found it really boring and I was all the way through thinking James Dyer is going to be really enjoying this. <laughs> so, uh, this is not my normal cup of tea. Um, it's because they're all posh, isn't it? it? I mean, the poshness never helps. I've got, you know, my clash, the massive class chip on my shoulder was rattling. Um, I just found it quite boring and I think there's so much amazing, um, telly at the moment especially as a newbie game of thrones person right i can't help but see you see all of these kind of shows now through the prism of how well does it stack up next to game of thrones and Mm. it doesn't at all so just some of the delivery was really stilted i thought the writing wasn't great it doesn't look particularly good um harsh i found i just and i kept actually rewinding because i kept drifting off and thinking (laughs) not for sleep no not sleep i kept drifting off to think about other things like um i really wanted meadows new series like i really wanted a sandwich and so i kept rewinding it to rewatch it thinking i just not i'm not giving it my full attention i'm not giving it my full attention i found it really hard to kind of get into it and 
Um, I made it to the end, but I'm not going to watch it anymore. Wow, that's a little did you not bit. Find it bo- did you not find it boring? I did, yes, but then I just <laughs> assumed that was me. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? I was like, there was no like hook me with like I didn't buy any of the relationships or any of the like. Just nothing felt real or compelling or knotty or I didn't want to. But I didn't like. I, I did find it boring, but not in a way where I thought this is a bad show. I just thought this is a. I've got a lot to get through. This has been a busy week. Avengers Endgame is coming. I really need to watch this. You know what I mean? I just wasn't no. in that mindset, and I was trying to, you know, see past that particular thing. So obviously, as you know, I have quite a high tolerance for you know Downton esque yes. yes. things, um, which I don't. And I think no. that's. And I think that's the that's uh, Philippa Gregory is not my kind of. Yeah, I think. Go- to write no, a book. Yeah. The books aren't really my thing. Mm. Um, and I I should just say, I don't think it's... I'm not saying it's badly made. It's just it, there's nothing... It's not like it has incredible cinematography where you're like, you can enjoy kind of the spectacle of it. Um, the emotional or the kind of scenes that are in any way intimate don't really ring true to me. So I wasn't kind of getting caught in the emotional storytelling either. So without the kind of the spectacle or the heart or the characters, I just wasn't kind of hooking in on any point and I think that's partly because it's not really my cup of tea but also I don't think anything about it was outstanding I think it was all fine but I just think in the world we're in right now where you have all of these amazing shows fighting for your attention it's hard to go it's hard to say that anybody listening to this should, you know, put aside a whole hour to watch this when, show, right? When there's a season of Bosch to watch, right? is essentially what we're saying. Boyd, would um, you say it's worth somebody giving up? Only if you like this kind of thing. It definitely yeah. is. It definitely, you know, there are some shows that are, if you're a fan of period drama of this kind of era, trying to show what life must have been like for these people. That's that's the intrigue of it. I think that's the, that's why these books are really successful. It's like, oh, yeah. you, it's planting you yeah. in the middle of Henry VIII's time and, you know, kind of and and I think so on those that terms on those terms it works. But no, I'm not saying if you if you if you if you have no interest in this kind of thing, <laughs> please God put aside an hour they do. on Stars Play on Prime Video at all. But if you do like this stuff, then you will like this because it is effective at what it does. They but do is have it some good e- at what it does? They I think have... it is good at what in a way. I do. I would. I think it is good at what it does. Yeah. They have some excellent bants about the different types of rain. Oh my god, that but that whole scene about <laughs> drizzle. Um, no, it's I can't do the, it's like, the accent. It's raining. It's, it's rain. not raining. It's drizzling. It's drizzle. There is water coming from the sky. It is rain. It is drizzle. I was like, oh, my life is too short. I am dying by the second. We are all dying. We are all on our inexorable march towards death. And I've just spent like fucking ten valuable seconds of my life watching somebody banter about rain versus drizzle to show the fact that she's not from England and she's not used to our customs and somebody's going to have to explain to her what the fucking fuck drizzle is. No, stop it. See, you, but I think you should press on with this because obviously, historically <laughs> speaking... not going to press no, on with this, you I'm lunatic. I'm saying, because historically speaking, obviously she ends up marrying Henry VIII and then he ultimately divorces her, which is the moment where Henry VIII goes full Brexit, essentially. And it's like, no! Be gone, Spaniard. Is she one of the ones who chopped the head off? No, he divorced her. Did she, divorce, she married, died, died, divorced, was married, died, divorced, married, survived. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that that is the Spanish princess, and it airs on Stars Play on Sunday, the fifth of May. I do think it's nowhere near as bad as Terry's made out. There's lots to like if you enjoy this kind of show. I would say if you enjoyed the White Princess and the White Queen, you probably love it. Oh, absolutely. If, if not, then maybe not so much. 
Anyway, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, we have Netflix's upcoming documentary special, Knock Down the House. I say documentary special to distinguish this from a film, <laughs> because this is the pilot podcast and not Empire. So if it was a film, we wouldn't be covering it. But it's not, so that's fine. Sure, I mean, it's 90 minutes long, it's a one-off, and it debuted at the Sundance Film Festival, but it is in no way a film, and it's really important that you understand this, because Terry said that's the case. Okay? Good. So, this not-a-film is a documentary by Rachel Lears that examines the midterm congressional campaigns of four extraordinary women who had no political experience whatsoever, but who ran grassroots campaigns to challenge establishment opponents in the 2018 election. They are Amy Valela of Nevada, Corey Bush of Missouri, Paul Jean Swearingen of West Virginia, and most famously, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, or AOC, as she is perhaps better known. Uh, she's awesome, and she's a former waitress who uh, famously ran against 10-term Democratic incumbent Joe Crowley, who Boyd referenced earlier, oh, yeah. uh, for the de- Democratic nomination in Queens and the Bronx, kicked his entitled white ass, <laughs> and went on to become the youngest congresswoman in American history. Uh This genuinely is one of the most inspirational things I think I've seen in a very good long while. But I'm not going to sit here and mansplain this film to you. Instead, I shall defer to someone far better suited to talk about these incredible women. Boy. (laughs) I could see that going in my life. Kidding. Kidding. Very good. I'm kidding. (laughs) Terry, come on, let's hear it. (laughs) So, right, God, where do I start with this? Uh, I tweeted about this earlier this morning and said, I've just watched something we'll be reviewing on the um, Pilot TV podcast and I cried so, so much. And if James doesn't like this, I'm quitting. (laughs) This is, as you rightly said, one of the most inspirational things I've seen. I was in tears constantly. Constantly um, watching it, and I think there are a, a few things that make it really special and really interesting. As you say, the fact that it focuses on these four women who are part of a movement. And so from what I've seen of um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it's all through her kind of social Mm. platform. And I'd only really become aware of her once she'd won because it was a huge shock and nobody was really expecting that to happen. But this obviously goes back way before that. And you realise that actually... It's about a movement. It's about a a progressive Democrat movement spearheaded by ordinary working people who are there to be the voice of the ordinary working American person. So she says at one point, you know, the American people aren't asking for a lot. They're asking for politicians to just help them get by. Um, And these four women who are profiled are all running because of something that's happened essentially in their lives. So with her, she'd had to get this bar job um, because they were going to lose their house when her father died. Um, Amy Villella, you mentioned, her her daughter died um, and there was an insurance issue and she campaigns against um, some of the complications around insurance that leave people unprotected. Um, and there's a coal miner's daughter and um, Corrie is, is dealing with um, a community who saw an unarmed um, black man be Ferguson, shot. Ferguson, she lived in Ferguson. She lived in yeah. Ferguson. And what's amazing is 
you follow these women and you didn't, I didn't realise, and maybe it's because I'm British, maybe because I just wasn't, you know, Christ, I don't know, but they are part of a movement and it isn't just her. She's obviously the most prominent, but it's part of a bigger movement. The way these women support each other, the place they're coming from, the ambitions they have, which is just to make life for normal people more bearable. Um, and the way it's put together is really clever. So you move between these four women's stories and, and their campaigns and they're all um, going towards, obviously, these um, midterm races. And you don't really get a sense of who could possibly, because I, I didn't know who'd actually won apart from her and who hadn't. And the way the tension builds is it's all really slickly done, but the emotional storytelling is really important. So I think it is important that it was made by a woman. I think you can tell that. Mm -hmm. The opening shot is of... Um, is of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in her bathroom mirror putting her makeup on and the first thing she says is the choices that women have to make every morning about what they choose to show to the world yeah. and framing the narrative through that lens and that being the point at which you engage with her that for me just spoke it's the statement of intent about what they were trying to do which is to show A. the performative role of women in politics B. The reality of being a woman in politics. See, they just made them normal women who are basically living incredibly normal lives, who are trying to change the world. And it sounds like a grand statement, but what you come away with this going is going, fuck, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. Nothing, by the way. <laughs> B, I've seen what, Endgame twice. Well, you have. You, you are doing your bit. But what remarkable women that the impact they are having on their communities and the world at large... She talks about imposter syndrome. She talks about um, when she's going up against her opponent on a live TV, on a live TV debate. He's going to tell me I'm small, I'm young, I'm inexperienced. And then what happens is all those things happen. He goes, "I uh -huh. want to thank you for bringing the energy." You know, you've got no, you've doesn't he? he How says, much oh. did you want to punch him <laughs> in the face? Patronizing <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> But, but what I loved is they highlighted all that stuff, but they didn't rely on it. They, the, the entirety of her story isn't about being a woman and the insecurity and, and the kind of fears that go along with that. But they let her be incredibly human while also being resilient and tough and dynamic and intelligent. The texture and um, nuance with the portraits of these women at this incredible time in history... I mean, I cannot, I've probably said enough, but I could not, I cannot say enough about this. It is a remarkable piece of documentary filmmaking. You get the sense of the where the professional intersects with the personal, what it is to be a woman in politics, what it is to be a young woman in politics, what it is to be a young woman of colour in politics, what it means to really work for those communities. I, you know, I'm not surprised it won the Audience Award at Sundance. Mm. I just think it is so bloody brilliant and. You can talk now, but no, I'm just like, it, it's making me emotional just no, like talking it is. about I think, it. I think the documentary is extraordinarily well made. I think some of the things it touches on, the stories of these women, are so profoundly affecting mm. and so moving. I mean, the, the woman who lost her daughter because they went to the ER after she had a blood clot and she was turned away from the hospital because she couldn't prove she had insurance yeah. and her daughter died because they wouldn't treat her because they didn't have insurance. And so she's running for, uh, she's running for a seat. Is that, I can't remember. I think it's yeah. a Senate seat yeah. in this particular mm. case. She's running for a seat to change the law to help people. And as you say, each 
one of them have a personal story. And it's a grassroots campaign. They don't have mm. funding. They turn down uh, pack mm. money. You know, it, it's an, it's incredibly inspiring story of what an average person can do because so much of politics especially in America is run by the establishment yeah. huge backed corporate backed candidates with so much money and so many deep, um, deep pockets and there's a feeling I think that the you know an average person on the street like a waitress in this case mm-hmm. can't affect that and this just shows that isn't the case mm-hmm. like her taking Crowley's seat as a Democratic nominee was such an upset and I listened to a lot of politics podcasts and I remember at the time when this happened everyone was talking about Beto O'Rourke everyone was talking about Beto O'Rourke he's incredibly charismatic he does this but you listen very carefully. People would occasionally mention, oh, and then this candidate in New York is challenging Joe Crowley, who's been doing this for 20 years. You know, he's Democratic. Why are you challenging? You know, we should be focusing on the Republicans. We shouldn't be fighting amongst ourselves. But she went in there and he, that man... Didn't even bother to turn up to the debate that, with her at the town hall. He sends a proxy moment. to argue in his place, and she just wipes the floor with her. And when he finally does debate her on television, her passion and her commitment yeah. and her knowledge and her intelligence, and the way he combats her intelligence by just going, "Oh dear, dear you're very inexperienced. You don't yeah. understand," and trying to try to bit of dirty tricks there. I mean, it was really just heartening to see how how heartfelt and honest she was. I find her so inspiring. Like you see. You know, regardless of whether or not you agree with her sort of very sort of uh, progressive political platform, yeah. if you've seen her in Congress doing mm. those congressional hearings and just tearing people to pieces with the amount of knowledge and intellect mm. she has and how passionate she is, it's just like you think, God, you know, politics aside, if we have leaders who can be this inspirational, mm. you know, then everyone will engage with mm. issues and everyone will get involved. And I think so. This this I think this works on two levels. It works because it's an incredibly well made documentary that covers a very interesting subject. But I think she. Is is the star of this yeah. because she is a, a, a sort of a star, I think, of American mm. politics. Yeah, but don't you think it was lovely how they there was a moment right where she the uh, it's the first woman I can't remember who which woman it was was it oh it was Amy Valella when she mm. didn't win mm. and she is cry, I mean it's mm, a really heartbreaking scene mm. and she's crying and AOC calls her and says we have to remember that for just one of us to make it through a hundred yeah. of us have yeah. to fall Absolutely. and I think what it, this documentary does beautifully even though you're entirely right she's the star of the show even if she hadn't won she would still be the star of this documentary it offers a really important glimpse of the contextual landscape around her what the bigger meaning is as you say this rejection of corporate corporatization and commercialization of politics mm. where the big bucks win the day she was outspent by 18 to 1 on her campaign and there was a brilliant bit where she's looking at a pamphlet he's designed Mm. and and it's like a catalogue she's got a brilliant punchy piece of card which just says the stuff that matters the way her authenticity shines through but the way in which it still manages to make the personal much broader and political in terms of really telling the story of the wider movement and I think the educational piece around that is really interesting because it puts the importance of her win in such sharp kind of focus. You're like, oh fuck, this isn't just the story of one woman's incredible rise. This is the story of a much bigger shift in American politics. Mm. It's not, and this isn't a, like a Democrat versus Republican no. story. This is a, hard, a sort of a left sort of like socialist leaning yeah. young Democrat in touch with her community. She lives in the Bronx. She knows these people against a 20 year incumbent who lived in Virginia, Virginia, completely disconnected from the people that he represented. And it's showing that you can't be complacent, that you actually have to care about the communities mm. that you want to rep- represent. I mean, it was all right. <laughs> no, no, no. This is one of the best documentaries, I think, of yeah. the last, I'm going to say 10 years. Uh, 
I, I mean, I was expecting it to be good, mm. and I'm fascinated by all these people, and I, you know, and, and I mean, I was a, you know, when, believe it or not, when I was a student in my year abroad in America, I was an activist, and I lived with people like this. You reminds me of people I lived with. It for, I stayed a month in Washington D.C. and they're activists, and the and the and the word that they all kept using back then, I never really kind of got the hang of it. I don't think was organised. Mm. That's the constant thing. It's like, mm. and back then, back when I was a student in the late eighties, before the, the internet. And, you know, even kind of you know, as email was rising, now they use all that technology. They didn't harp on it much, but it was very clear how they're all sitting there with their laptops in these incredible community meetings mm-hmm. of these activists, as you say, this base, who, who really initiate, went out into the community, people who were actually working class and doing proper jobs and said to them, would you be interested in standing yeah. for the Senate? And that's what they did, that app proactive. And they're all sitting there with their laptops with like reams of like tables and stats. And you just see glimpses of them and they're at mastery of their local populations mm. and their mastery of people to go and there's one city she goes knocking on doors and they've clearly got all these reams and reams of information of who to talk to she goes to someone's house and she just gives them a talk to like eight people yep. but the, the crucial kind of hands-on approach to them all is incredible so what I loved about it so much was not only was it emotionally and I was in tears as well after about 10 minutes mm. But it explains it so well, the process. Yeah. So it's, it's incredibly entertaining and gripping and emotional. But it's so, you learn, so I learned so much just from at, at the grassroots people, how they get them involved. Then the four, these four women are so different. Yeah. So, because she's incredibly charming and kind of funny. Yeah. There's um, Swearingen who's angry. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and she's told, I thought she it was really She says, I'm she angry is, as hell. Yeah. She says, I'm angry as hell. And she's told by her a kind of um, campaign director yeah. at one point, she's about to go out, smile, smile, smile. She says, no smile. <laughs> but you know, it's not her. They're all themselves yeah. in a brilliant way. She stands at the top of the hill overlooking her community, devastated by mining yeah. and people who kind of can't breathe the air because of. The pollution and all of that, and they're all—they're all so different and so intriguing. So, but it was just so brilliant. And even as you say, that first seat. So it also explains the fact how important it is that they're women, what they have to deal with, as opposed to the fucking men, as embodied by this gigantic twat. <laughs> who let's not remember. And it, it isn't about Democrat versus Republican. Yet it's so interesting that he is the Democrat who's been doing this for twenty years and is so kind of elitist and so reliant on the system Um, and when people here talk about you know the elites don't they you know when you get like you know right wing idiots populists talking about oh the elitist left wing because they they don't they're not backing Brexit and all that this is proper he was proper democratic elitist that she has totally got rid of and it's an incredible thing and you watch it and and it gives you incredible hope because even though she was the only winner among these four her triumph was unbelievable because this is this is we're watching here her beating her beating her fellow democrats for the right to stand for the seat. Then she won the seat, and now yeah. she's doing all this stuff, yeah. as you say. These and incred- taking shit from Nancy taking Pelosi. Shit, right, yeah. from Nancy Pelosi, right, because they are, even though it's not, it, these people actually are, in American politics, unbelievably left-wing. They've oh, been yeah. called communists no, they have. and Marxists. She says, well, but I don't even know what Marxist is. Yeah. <laughs> and all, so it is a real proper revolution, and she's, they're standing for universal health care, yeah. which un- when I was, you know, lived in America... You couldn't say that without no. being accused yeah. of being a traitor to well, America. Sanders was the first one to talk Bernie about it. Right. Yeah, but now it's like actually fairly mainstream to talk mm. about universal health care, to get rid of ICE, the you know yeah. the, yeah. the um, immigration, immigration people. Control, $15 basic minimum literally wage. Literally get rid of them. Mm. All of these policies are actually socialist policies. And th- this is pretty incredible stuff. And I came away with thinking, if she can do that, I think she could be president one day. I really do. She's so inspirational. She's so, But she's also funny, charming and brilliant. I love, And it also shows her personal life, her boyfriend. Yeah. He's like adorable. 
memorable as well. And just the whole thing, relentlessly brilliant. And the access, the, you see the moment yeah. where she finds out she's won. Her, the look on her face, she cannot believe it. Because no. she didn't even, they genuinely didn't know. They didn't even have enough money to fund a poll to find out how well she was doing and then in they, the campaign. And they did one really late, right? Yeah, really late. way behind, like yeah. so five points behind. Massively behind. It was in, it's a proper little mini revolution. Mm. So I found this one of the most incredible, uplifting things, yeah. And we can argue about whether it's a film or a TV show, but the bottom line is it's on fucking Netflix and, you know, and no one's going to go to cinema to watch it. Everyone should watch it on Netflix. I mean, it's so brilliant. I agree entirely. An absolute must-watch. It is, as we have said numerous times now, not a film, uh, but the 90-minute one-off documentary feature-length special that is Knocked Down the House arrives on Netflix on Friday the 3rd of May. Regardless of your political inclinations, I do encourage I you I think to it arrives it. on Wednesday the 1st of May, James. I hate to Netflix explain to you, Oh my I'm word! pretty sure, because yes. they drop their documentaries on a Wednesday now. Do you realise what I did there? I just assumed, in my entitlement, yeah. in my Joe yeah. Crowley-esque yeah. entitlement, I assumed it no. would be a Friday. I feel those extra two days could be crucial. Go on, hit me with the board. So when is it? Wednesday the 1st. Wednesday, the 1st of May. May Day itself. Yeah. Knock down the house. Finally this week, we have the third episode of Game of Thrones. But it's going to be another spoiler review, so we're going to leave that to the very end of the podcast. Before we get to that, however, we do have time for a quick banshee. Anyone? Anyone? I, I completely forgot to speak Boyd has it. no banshee. No. All right, Terry, do you I have, have a banshee? No banshee. Yeah, so there's no banshees? <laughs> no banshees. Well, I'm sure I can find one. I'm running out of banshees. It may like, shock you to hear that I have one. How many do you have, really? I'm going to do one. <laughs> just the one. All right, well, it's good because we're running short time this week, so it's actually handy that we only have one. Okay, so I was going to go out on a limb with this one and go with the show, apparently much like Dr. Horrible, that I can guarantee neither of you have seen. Oh, God. Yeah? Go okay, this week I'm going for The Inside which what? aired back in 2005. This was a desperately dark serial killer series. Terry, you'd have loved it. Uh, mm. It came from Tim Minear and Howard Gordon. So had Rachel Nichols, and she was this rookie uh, agent at the FBI's violent crimes unit. And the hook here is that she herself was a kidnap victim as a child. She'd been abducted and held for 18 months by some creepy man before she freed herself and burned the guy's house down. And so she joins the FBI, she joins this violent crimes unit, and the guy who runs her, the guy in charge of this unit, is played by a horribly creepy Peter Coyote in it. And he manipulates her into tapping into her past trauma as a way to get her into the heads of the victims of crime. Like, it's really fucked up. Adam Baldwin was uh, was in this as well. Now, last week, you might recall, well, Terry won't, she wasn't listening, but Boyd, you might recall, I said Millennium <laughs> was really dark. Oh, yeah. This, I this is horrific. Like, it's really gripping, but it's just properly nasty. Like, it's, it had a, uh, an S&M serial killer. There was one who preyed on people who called a suicide hotline, someone who stole unborn children from their victims, and then a man who kept anorexic girls in a dungeon. Like, it's properly grim but it was a really really gripping show but but it was a Fox show. So in I was classic, say, what was it? In classic Fox fashion, they did exactly what they did with Firefly. They got weird cold feet, aired the first seven episodes out of order, wondered why it didn't work, then promptly cancelled it and left six episodes completely unaired. And it wasn't until ITV, I think it might have been ITV2 actually, they picked up all of them, uh, all uh, all 13 of them, and they, they, they aired them over in the UK. I think that was the first time it ever, ever aired the unaired ones. Uh, unfortunately for everyone listening... 
is not available in computer exchange or anywhere else or on TV. You literally can't watch it, so I can't recommend it because you can't see it. This is the most pointless bunch ever because I was immediately like, this sounds amazing, I want to go and watch it this weekend, and now you're telling me I can't watch it. No, if anyone's listening can prove me wrong, or has it on VHS, can lend it to Terry, that'd be great, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I did a quick Google, and I'm not sure it was ever released on disc, and I don't imagine it's being broadcast anywhere. So So this is now called Redundant Banshee. No, no, it's just it's a piece of televisual history that I've shared. That fundamentally, so people can go and watch it. Yeah, that is great. Well, at least I brought a fucking Banshee. I found it. I brought a fucking Banshee. I've got a Banshee that is, I feel, could be the classic middle-aged white man's Banshee. You've just Googled something, haven't you? No, because I I remember I saw a thing. I went to a screening earlier this week, and I remember thinking, oh, I have to Banshee that thing. And and so this is what it is. is Netflix announced today that they've got this um, massive Bob Dylan documentary coming out, directed by Martin Scorsese, and it's all about the Rolling Thunder review, which happened in the mid-70s. It's going to be on Netflix, but Film. this, but nah, but I'm banshing. A documentary event. I'm banshing Martin Scorsese's two part TV documentary that's on Sky Art, No Direction Home, about Bob Dylan, which was incredible. And it's all available to watch all five hours of it on Sky Art, which I'm going to do a rewatch this weekend in preparation for the next installment of the Bob Dylan Martin Scorsese. This is, this is your Sons stuff. of Anarchy, isn't it? This is my Sons of Anarchy. I'm a huge, obviously, like most middle aged white men that I know, <laughs> apart from you, James. You want to be Bob Dylan. I want to be Bob Dylan. I don't understand Bob Dylan. Neither do I. No, a lot of people don't. Boring. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. That is a very accurate, uh, that very accurate impersonation of Bob Dylan. Actually, you know, if anything, your voice is slightly better than Bob's. Yeah, he's not quite as tuneful as that. No, but I love him, and it was a brilliant, brilliant documentary, and. I believe the next one will be as well. Oh, thank you, Boyd. Yeah. Well, that thank only you, leaves. Boyd. Thank you, Boyd. Thank you, Boyd. Very Alan Partridge. Thank you, Boyd. <laughs> Who the hell is that? God, I knew we couldn't get through one podcast without you going full Brennan on us. Oh, that only leaves. That leaves our final segment. So do brace yourselves because here be dragons. As mentioned, this is a spoiler discussion of the third episode of Game of Thrones, so if you have not yet watched episode three, do switch off now, or just skip ahead to the time given in the episode description. Still with us? Excellent. Let us begin. We are here to talk about season eight, episode three, The Long Night. Terry, as our Game of Thrones newbie, why don't you go first? What did you think of this episode? All nearly 90 minutes of it. This is the longest one. It is. And can I just say thank you to the uh, men who keep making things dead long, like the three hours Avengers film I had to also see this week. So it, it feels really weird to say this when I've literally only seen three episodes. This was my third episode of Game of Thrones. But I can't help feeling like it's one of the greatest episodes of television that's ever been made. (laughs) And it feels like I'm rushing to judgment, and yet I don't know how else to categorise what what I saw at five o'clock this morning. Yeah, it was pretty intense, wasn't it? I mean, I don't even know where to start. Extraordinary on every level. Boy, does this sum up your feelings? Um, it was exhausting, that's for sure. Um, I said extraordinary. Oh, uh, yeah, and extraordinary. And um, I'm still slightly still processing it in that way of... Uh, so I'm comparing it to other episodes. For me, it's not... I wouldn't say it's... I think there are actually better episodes of, of you know, in the whole... Game of Thrones eight series eight seasons so far or episodes I prefer put it that way because I'm definitely mm. as I, I always bang on I think I banged on about it last week I'm definitely in the I prefer the quieter wordier 
episodes than the hardly any dialogue, fucking thousands of zombies and soldiers attacking each other and people, lots of people dying episodes. Having said that, it was an incredible piece of spectacle and there were some brilliant kind of little moments which I, which were mm. a kind of, it made it actually slightly more extraordinary than I expected because I wasn't su- expecting some of those beautiful little moments. Um, Tyrion particularly um, and Sansa. For some, for example, so I, it, it was incredible, yeah, absolutely incredible and, and it probably is one of the most extraordinary episodes of TV of all time, yes. Um, but it was fucking murky and we have to address that point as well because there are some people, yeah. I mean the New York Times critic on Twitter literally put up a, recta- a black rectangle and said I'm not sure what's going on in this episode <laughs> and there's a whole slate article I saw this morning about... When you say murky? Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of the cinematography that it was very literally dark. Yeah. Oh, yeah, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are complaining you literally could not see I had see to adjust my telly so right. I, I was watching it at five right. o'clock in the morning but I had to adjust my telly because I couldn't see Same. what was happening at right. one bit and yeah. then I had to sit in a different part of the living room. Yeah. But I don't right. give a fuck. You've got th- literally thousands of zombie fucking murdering people, not even people, zombies. Like, and who knew that I was the person who was desperate not for human interaction and substance I want the death and the fire and the like this has awakened a whole new part of myself I feel like James Dyer Shane Meadows never made an episode of television like this one Yeah, it was like World War Z of I was exactly going to say that so my reference points for this looking at this and I do think this is one of the most incredible hour and a half of television I've ever sat through uh, was World War Z in particular yeah. Zulu Starship Troopers mm. that kind mm. of mm. overwhelming odds sort of things swarming over the walls mm. the sense that no one can survive I think that came through from it um, so this is directed by Miguel Sapochnik who is Game of Thrones God of War uh, did the Battle of the Bastards very well and what I like particularly about this is there was no repetition it didn't feel like any of the other big battles mm. that we've had so far it didn't feel like the Battle of the Bastards very different tone to that didn't feel like um, uh, the Battle for Castle Black didn't feel like the Battle of the Blackwater you know they all have very distinct flavours to them and this was something new probably because they were fucking zombies and you know what I I sat down and I thought halfway through I was thinking what why is this whole thing surprising me it's because even though we knew that the White Walkers and this whole army of the undead we knew they were undead and we knew that this was the big coming together you know that's been building up to literally from the very first episodes that was mentioned that this army of the undead and they were going to and this huge big allied gathering of human fighters mm. we knew that was the thing but I didn't quite sink in with me until I watched the episode that this was all literally one of the most gigantic zombie horror films mixed with everything else that Game of Thrones does as well mm. that that was going to be the thing that is happening that was the genre if you like right down to that bit to, in the last act where um, Arya is kind of literally face to face with a small handful of fucking zombies yeah. in that bit you know which was just a horror film that was literally like you know wasn't it it was mm. like a kind of key so that I just kind of it didn't really sink in with me that that's what was going to happen. I so like sure. that. Just on that point, I like that they had a real sense of pacing and rhythm to this, where they yeah. there were tangible gear shifts at various points where you felt them sort of change just to give you a bit of a rest to sort of alter the momentum, uh, which I thought worked extremely well and. Let's bear in mind that this episode was shot of 55 nights in Northern Ireland in the freezing rain, plus about another dozen on sound stages. So this was an enormous undertaking to make this episode. Um, I've, I've written down a bunch of the various sort of in order, chronological, a bunch of the key beats. I thought, do you want to go through it sort of bit by bit as we go through? I think you do, so yes, why don't we? So no, should we go through this in real time? Let's go through this in James Dyer style. Yeah. First of all, I love how this episode opens, just on Sam looking like he's about to shit his pants. 
pants. <laughs> I thought that's just the perfect feeling because that's how everyone felt, mm-hmm. but no one expresses that quite so well uh, as John Bradley. Um, loved that. He loved spent it. the whole episode looking like he was such shit. He pants, did. To be fair, he did. And he was very I good at that. He probably did at one point. And he did. He did survive, right? Because I yeah, was yeah. like, I, about four different points, I was like, he's yeah, a total right. so, fucking goner. He's a goner. I know. Although there is a point where you worry, and one of my favourite parts of this episode is there's a beautiful, I'm sure you remember, it, there's a there's a single shot, there's a one out, as John runs through yeah. the yeah. castle, yes. Yes, this single it. shot, and there's a bit where he sees Sam being overwhelmed, and yeah. he hesitates, and then he just carries on yes. going, because the, the stakes are too high. Yeah. He's like, sorry, mate, you're on your own. I Isn't thought he- that was an mo- amazing moment, because he knows what it is to be a leader and to be a king, Yeah, and actually that... that that moment, because at first that took my breath away because I was like, because he called his name and he just continues running yeah. because he knows, as you say, that he can't stop for one person. Yeah. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> Tough shit. <laughs> Tough shit, well, mate. I've got to single-handedly kill 5,000 zombies on my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also love at the beginning where they're all laid out in ranks just in front of the walls. I thought it was an incredible spectacle. The ranks of the Unsullied, the Dothraki cavalry, and they all come in. And then, obviously, we have that moment where Melisandre, how she got there, that's not dwell on. <laughs> Trots out of the gloom on her little horse. I mean, she, oh, no. is, she seems she has her magical powers are like completely so ill defined. Is she a witch? She yeah. is. I'm glad you asked, Terry. She is a priestess of the red god Rulor, the Lord of Light. <laughs> yes, she's a witch. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm just guessing at this yeah. point. There was one of the great all time moments, isn't it? Was when she was revealed to be a haggard old woman. Yeah. So um, she's, yeah, she's so which is, her. Oh, in, which at the yeah. end. Yeah, so yeah, at the yeah, end, yeah. The, 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 the sort of choker that she has is in the books, it's more about illusion. Like it gives the mm. illusion of what she looks like. Whereas in this, you get the impression it almost just keeps, keeps her, her vibrant. But once yeah. she takes it off, she turns to an old lady and she disappears. But, um, Metaphor. But, yes, oh, indeed. Well, indeed. But mm. yeah. where she yeah. comes in and she inflames the Dothraki right. Arax. That was a beautiful moment. Yes. So, because so, I, I mean, actually, there was a, so, well, when we'll touch on the murk all the way through, yeah. but I do feel it was a deliberate visual, literally grey brown murky. And then she sets, she alights mm. them with the fire. And that was a beautiful visual moment and yeah. a brilliantly powerful. You were thinking, oh fuck! You know, we're going to have to watch this whole episode just in darkness, practically. <laughs> so it did help the illumination, but also led to that magnificent so the charge of the Dothraki, where you just see the fires yeah, of their so swords yeah. winking out one yeah. by one, and yeah. you just think you are fucked. Well, and that and that darkness when they when the zombies or whatever they're they're all White Walkers, right? No, so no. the White Walkers are the ones with long hair who look a bit like aging rock band members. Who, can we just also say? That the fucking night, what's his name? The Night King. The Night King. He looks like, doesn't he remind you of the Master? Yes, yes, he did, yeah. I agree, I've always thought that. That's yeah. all in my head, yeah. that's all yeah, I can yeah, see yeah, was the yeah, Master. Yeah. Um, not Completely. as scared by him as I wanted to be, I was actually more scared by the White Walkers. And anyway. his, his, the two dudes next to him, his kind of two deputies look like um, William Hartnell, Doctor Who as well. Yes. There you go. They all look like <laughs> ageing members of Motley Crue. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so the White Walkers are those things, and they're the ones that animate the dead, which are the whites, or you know, whenever you. But when they attack, and you can't see mm. through, and you can hear them, and it starts, and you and you hear the sound build. The sound design on this is impeccable, mm. and you and you hear it gathering pace, and then suddenly it's almost like a Boeing seven four seven coming at you, but you still don't see them until the last minute. And at that point, you kind of think, okay, I understand why this was shot in the way it was, because actually, that sense of danger and suspense, yeah. if you'd have been able to see, would have just. It's completely. a classic horror film trope, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. can't see the fear, and it just comes out of the darkness. Yeah. Uh, and the way it's the way it's really sort of sharply edited, just flashes of teeth and claws and things, and they're just like shit. But uh, also when that, when all the lit- torch 
people were kind of the first the first yeah, wave the and they, yeah. they slowly burn out that yeah. was so brilliantly done yeah. and then like, Jorah the runs back that, on his own yeah. just like with a look at his yeah. face going shit and everyone's <laughs> civilization was like oh the fire isn't really yeah. helping yeah. but what happened to Ghost most importantly so we yes. see a nice shot of Ghost running Brilliant alongside Jorah charging into battle don't see him again no. is Ghost dead that's my biggest takeaway from this where's the wolf I thought that I thought that was a flaw we need to see what yeah, happened we to need to see what yeah. I want him to come trotting back with like a little cut on his muzzle and otherwise fine that's that's very important to me Ghost must survive. Now, before that scene, though, we have uh, an interesting moment where John and Danny are looking out and she goes to get onto the dragon and he grabs her arm. It's like, the Night King's coming. She's like, the dead are already here. And she's got a proper old fucking face on. So she's clearly not happy with him still. That whole, he is, in fact... Aegon Targaryen's still not sitting well with her. But didn't you also read that as as a moment where she actually... Because I, I was wondering how they were going to play it with her in this episode. Mm. Because obviously they've been sowing some seeds so far. And who knows where it's going to go. But but actually, even though she was kind of in the background for a bit of it, as was Jon Snow, really, fundamentally, um, the way she kind of became a leader during the battle and actually showed mm. courage and bravery and these things that we haven't really associated with her so far. She's just seemed like a bit of a stroppy mare. <laughs> but actually, you felt you felt real grief from her in this and real moments yeah. of bravery. There were a bit, you know, where she's completely overwhelmed and you can tell she's facing death. Um, so that's what I read mm. that as, as opposed to having the arse on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. That was my, I didn't feel that he actually had the arse on. Yeah, I, I thought she was just, you know, she, they, they were kind of, both of them really, weren't yeah. they? They were kind of like saying, Right, we're we're about to enter this this battle. But it was a smart move because I think a lot of people have speculated about this battle. A lot of people have been, you know, you know, backseat generaling and saying, "Well, I think you're fine that the army of dead is susceptible to fire, and you've got two dragons. Of course, if they let the dragons out, it would be over in minutes." But of course, they show do you that, doing. Yeah, I imagine your front room is a gigantic would, yeah. map of Winterfell <laughs> with like your armies, <laughs> and I'm plotting out. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, but I thought it was interesting. They're showing the sheer volume of the dead means yeah. the dragon fire doesn't really make that much of a dent in it because you no, know. It's pointless. Yeah, exactly. So they're they're helping, but they're not, you know. Now the dragon fire was very it's very precise though, isn't it? When it wants to be, like yeah. it can literally be just the inch away <laughs> yeah. from Jon Snow, and they get kill all the people well, they need to kill. Jon Snow's fireproof. He's yes, a Targaryen. Clearly, that is true. Yeah. Um, but I like that, and I also like that they because everyone was like, "Well, you just kill the Night King, it's all done." They could just go and kill them. I like that they immediately they went for the White Walkers, knowing that the animated dead would go if they got them, and then of course the big snowstorm comes mm-hmm. because. Frankly, we were having enough difficulty seeing already. What we really <laughs> needed was a blizzard. Yeah, um, and I thought that was an interesting thing. So that sort of that that nullified the dragon slightly and brought a whole new element to it. It was uh, yes, it was good. Like a bit of snow. <laughs> All right, good. Okay, crypt bants. I've got written down. Like bants. I like the crypt bants, uh, particularly Varys, uh, who drops that line. At least we're already in a crypt, which I thought was nice. Yeah, that was very good. Yeah, and again, I, I maybe just mean my own stupidity about these things, but it didn't. Again, it didn't occur to me that actually they're going to be attacked by a bunch of zombies. How did the that end. not occur to you? Know, they're like, in a crypt. I thought the whole thing was that they were going to, you know, they were going to be. That, that, that was kind of almost light relief. It felt to me a little bit. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll touch in with Tyrion and uh, and him, mm. and they'll be funny. And they, and they were being quite amusing with each other. And that was light relief from the relentless fucking yeah. nightmare yeah. of the battle. But then. When the when the undead did break into the crypt at the end, that was really good. Was Lovely really scene, I thought, with Tyrion and Sansa just talking Loved about the their, when they were sort of yeah. them. That was and my favourite Sunday again being stroppy. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was like, well, that was a lovely moment till you ruined it. But fine. I also especially loved that other moment between them when they get their knives 
out and they're ready to charge the zombies in the crypt. And yeah. like, he kisses her hand and they have that, you know. Mm. Some lovely, lovely character beats amid the undead. Well, that was my favourite That was my favourite moment in the episode. Those two, that, 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 yeah. cause that when, he, when, when they clasp hands. Cause, and all she, she's constantly, I, you can see on her face is that, you know, every man she's ever met in this mm. series has been a, sad, a sadistic yeah. psychopath. But Tyrion is, is essentially a decent... Yeah, he was always good You know, he was always a good, mm. good, good guy, despite all of his flaws. And mm. I love that, that that kind of that relationship is, is fascinating. His, his love for her, very, very um, palpable in those yeah. scenes, I thought was brilliant. No, it was a lovely... A lovely Are they going to get together? I don't know. I think it was they can't, can they? They were, you know... They, you they know, were married. Why? They were married, Why yeah. can't they... Why? Why? Because I think she was making the point that it's just not going to work between them, is it? It's like, you know, it just cannot work. I don't know. It just, it's just, it's just. I think it's him, isn't it? His yeah. Flaws. I don't. I don't think there's a future of those characters. But I like the fact that there's an affection there, and yeah, I like it's the fact affection. that they shared yeah. that moment. Yeah. And I thought they did a good job, as you said, Boyd, of, of working character moments in, in amidst the carnage, even little moments where, when the hound is in full retreat and Arya shoots an arrow to kill yeah. the white that's about to jump on him, and he kind of looks up and sees her. Again, it's just those little moments. And then when he's having his PTSD moment, yes, and then great, only yeah. when he sees that she's in trouble, he's like, right, you know, get the axe, let's go and sort this out. Which again. Yeah, and nice the Bran and Theon stuff as well. Yes. Those <laughs> interludes yes. were great, I thought. Very nice in the Godswood. Um, I liked Arya with her special disjointed spear. Well, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, she was just incredible. Detachable spear stuff. Yeah, she was she was pretty hardcore. But even her, even she paled in comparison to Liana Mormont. Love Liana Mormont. What a death! I know. What a death! What a, what a death. brilliant death! Yeah, she's so that's that's Bella Ramsey. She's sixteen now. God knows when she, how old she was when she first started this. She's an interesting one because she was only supposed to be in one scene. Mm. So she hilariously auditioned for the lead in the BFG uh, wow. and didn't get it. But the casting director also did Thrones and put her forward for this. She was supposed to be in one scene, and they were like, she's so charismatic she's mm. such a scene star. they kept writing her in and obviously this is the yeah. culmination of her arc her relentless stroppiness has paid off yeah, or kind of <laughs> no, she's, she's this pretty... is the third woman we've called yeah. slash girl no, we've no, called no, no. stroppy I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge for this I don't think she's stroppy at all I think she's incredibly northern is what she is I don't think she's stroppy <laughs> that's, much that's much synonymous in your world <laughs> no but just the fact that she's just no nonsense straight talking doesn't give a fuck uh, and, uh, <laughs> oh god no it's Stop true doing northern accent yeah. but she said that when she got direction on this, like for for how she should behave, uh, the director was saying to her, like she has her fear gene turned off. Like yeah. she has absolutely no fear of anything, mm. and that's how she's always kind of carried herself. Whether it be in the face of White Walkers or you know shouty men with swords, you know, doesn't give a shit. And I thought that was a lovely moment for her taking out the uh, the undead giant. But there were there were female heroes all over the shop, right? Oh yeah. This episode yeah, it yeah, was yeah. it was another. Female. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Melisandre, because she sets the trench yeah. fire, doesn't she? Which is sitting there praying desperately, and just the look on her face, she's like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> and then suddenly, the Lord of Light comes through at the last minute. Frankly, he could have been more useful, but there you go. I also liked uh, Jamie and Brienne on the walls when the two of them are holding the battlements. Their whole thing was just... I mean, I could, they were saving each other left, right and centre. Yeah. I was like, I could watch like three hours of just this. This yeah. is like porn to me. Yeah. They're both so <laughs> handsome and lovely. Oh, it was surprising that they survived those. Yeah, yeah I, I thought mean, she that, was thought a goner. Was yeah, I think they were, and they were definitely teeing up, weren't they, in the last yeah. episode that she's a goner yeah. with the whole knighting thing. Yeah. And the fact that, and she, I mean, fuck knows how she survived, by the way. No. Any of them. Like, there wasn't, there was, in that lot, kind of like, the last act, the beginning, when they're all kind of facing that, when the piano starts coming in, and they're all just literally being under marauding hordes of zombies, and somehow they're not dying. And that it was like, okay. But she was I'll besieged immediately. I thought she oh, was yeah. going to oh, go yeah. straight yeah. away. Right. I was yeah. like, she's going to be the first to go. Yeah. 
We'll get onto this at the end, but the, the body count on this was surprisingly light, yes. I thought. Yes. I thought they maybe missed an opportunity to kill some people there. They did, however, get into it with the dragons. Oh, the dueling dragons, that bit where they fly above the storm and you see Drogon and Rhaegar just hovering above it. That's amazing. Mm. And then the other dragon comes in. That sort of, I, I wasn't sure how they were going to make that work. And actually, sort of that the, the sort of wrestling between them, it felt like, uh, it felt like you were reading an Anne McCaffrey book. Mm. You know, those Pern yes. dragon. It just felt exactly like that would be, with the dragons sort of clawing at each other. Other and fighting in the air. I, I, yeah, very well. I enjoyed that bit a lot. But <laughs> does anybody else feel like they're like in in kind of James's head right now? Yeah, like totally. Yeah. Reliving like the, the greatest moment of the greatest yeah. ninety minutes the, of his entire life. Oh, I love the dragons glory get each other. <laughs> I did so love great. the dragons. Can I just you know we had we we had this discussion me and James last week about how how watching it on Sky Live at at two in the morning, which is what I do mm. rather rather than get up at five, which I think is what you did. <laughs> yes, I did. If it has ad, ads in it, which of course. HBO, it does not have ads, and honestly, you would have been so. James refuses to watch it live with yeah. the ads, don't you? Yeah, quite. And honestly, there was a they put the generally they found okay moments to put ads in, and there were a lot of ad breaks. I thought even more than I mean, it was because of the 90 minute thing, but one was um, terrible times where when the two dragons kind of swooped down, they put an ad break at that <laughs> oh my moment. God. I was like, What are you fuckers doing? I mean, that was terrible, and I almost like for then vowed never to ever watch it live with ads ever again. Yeah. It was, it just totally took you out of the mood. It was terrible. Well, it's anyway. not designed like HBO don't make no. it to accommodate ads and no. shows with ads are structured around ad breaks and obviously this yeah. isn't so but I think the fact that this is this was this was a you know like a 90 minute film really mm. wasn't it? I mean the whole thing is like yeah. a fucking 88 hour film whatever but particularly the relentlessness of it and the and the way the, just the timing of everything the editing the whole and the storytelling when you've got ads in the middle it does ruin it. I think it is key actually that it's made for HBO that doesn't I think it's kind of helps the whole way it's put yeah. together no I agree with you completely now we don't know what happened to to um Rhaegar we don't know what happened to Rhaegar so John's dragon so John's dragon gets uh, wounded yeah. in the fight with yeah. Zarya and the other dragon and yeah. then crashes down right is it injured? Is it dead? I presumed it was dead. I assumed it was injured because I think if it was dead, they might have made more of it dying. Yeah, they didn't you know make much I mean? of it, did they? No, I feel right. like it was, a, it was a legit. They benched it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. In the same yeah. way that Drogon gets benched when he gets overwhelmed by the dead, I thought we need to get these off the mm. field to kind of keep things moving. So I think it's probably injured. So, yeah. did you think I was going to ask gen- genuinely? Did you think the um, the visual effects for the dragon flying stuff was better? Do you know? Because remember in that in that first episode, there was a big. I thought there was some terrible. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of just CG. And the fly, them flying on the dragons, I feel, is a hard thing to pull off, especially. And I, again, there were some moments in this, without, I'm being incredibly nitpicky, where I kind of slightly took me out of it. I thought it was a slightly clunky effects wise of the two of them on the dragons and then swooping down. I just, I don't know. Just there were one or two moments, especially in the snow, and I think it, it seems to be a lot easier in darkness. Yeah. So, right, yeah. so obviously, in the first episode, they're kind of in, in yeah. sunlight, right? And, yeah. and you can really see some of the joints. Mm. You can get away with a lot more in the darkness yeah, and there true, were a couple of and it was only really I noticed probably two shots in the snowstorm where it kind of yeah exactly didn't quite in the snowstorm exactly yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's same for me yeah. I'm t- I am Nick but I feel that you know I noticed no such things I don't know what you're talking <laughs> you are, about you were like high I was there I <laughs> was <laughs> at Winterfell you're, you're I don't know what you mean you were, on, you were on Game the of dragon Thrones LSD yeah Amelia Clark was on your back oh, absolutely true that, that <laughs> bit though oh, when, when the Night King gets knocked off the dragon and she sits there and you think oh it's all over yeah. and she 
breathes fire on him and he does a full Last Jedi and he smiles. He does that little half smile. There was little... no way he was going to, that was how he was no, going to go. I mean, you no, knew he was yeah. going to go was... full Luke at that point. He yeah. just all but dusted and the, off his shoulder. And how long did they take that for that shot? That was a long <laughs> shot. Of like, oh, right, we know he's going to survive. It's fine. It's also this intercut with what I really like, which you mentioned earlier, which is Arya in the library. Where yeah. she, I'm not quite sure why she ends up in the library, but sure, let's just go with that. Like, <laughs> suddenly, some, even though they're flowing over the walls, suddenly yeah. she's in the library with what looks initially like a like a half dozen of them, and you're like, yeah, surely this isn't that much of a problem for you. Just kill them. <laughs> but it's a lovely, it's a lovely moment. I like the, I like her creeping between the stacks and coming out. Um, and also, it gives uh, it gives Beric Dondarrion finally a purpose. Like she, his whole. Arc is to keep her alive. Yeah, uh, he never gets to understand or see why, but he's been brought back to life mm. six times. Beric has uh, by the Lord of Light. What? Thoros of Mir, the Red Priest, who's another one of those <laughs> priest people, has brought him back to life six times, uh, and now he's dead for good. But he was there so that she could get away dead to fulfil the prophecy, essentially. Uh, it's, so, I mean, are we supposed to believe that Arya is Azor Ahai, the prince that was <laughs> promised from the prophecy? Who knows? Uh, but, I mean, this uh, one, even I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, uh, and I've watched every fucking. <laughs> episode <laughs> but I, I love the moment when uh, like the dead are banging on the door and Melisandre's there and she mentions uh, a quote that she says to her, I think it's back in season three when she says I see darkness in, in you and she says in fact the actual quote is in that darkness eyes staring back at me brown eyes blue eyes green eyes oh, yeah. eyes you'll shut forever and obviously in this one she holds on blue eyes and Arya's like oh yeah that was very good that was yeah. very good well the directors talked a bit about that because he didn't want because his whole thing was they people will want Jon Snow to kill the Night King like mm. Everyone will want that. And he wants them to think that's where he's going with it. But he said he wanted to tee up Arya to do it, but without making it really obvious. So at that point, which is about two thirds away through the battle, you basically lose her mm-hmm. and you forget about her, which was kind of the point. Mm-hmm. He wanted lots of other stuff going on. So you don't know where she is or what she's doing. And even though looking back on it, you can see what what gets that thought into her head. You at the time it's kind of slightly lost on you. It's it's a bleak enough that you oh, can completely. let it go. Yeah, and she's very yeah, I mean how does she get there? I mean who knows again. Exactly but that, but, yeah. but that, uh, again I love the fact the whole if we're talking about that moment, which we which we are because you brought it up. Um remember that whole season where she was just being trained yeah. in that place to yeah. kill people and she went out killing people and had a list. I feel, I do love it when the whole and and you know there were people complaining about that, weren't they? People got slightly annoyed they get very got very repetitive that she was just going half the season was spent of her finding people to kill yeah, and just killing stab, them. Yeah. and that was it and that was her entire kind of role in that whole season mm. but when she ends up being the person who kills at that point in, yeah. the, in the show so brilliantly then you think yeah the whole thing has been leading up to that very cleverly yeah like there's that excellent fake out where you see John running towards him and you think here we go here we go there's going to be a fight there's going to be a fight there's going to be a fight and then he does the kind of rise thing where he raises he's done that before Terry he right. does that with his arms and then the dead come up <laughs> we were all waiting for that um so and so, John fails. Like he tries to kill him, and he fails. So that's the big fake out. And I think a lot of people on the internet have been slightly, as I think the the, the showrunners knew they would, have been slightly resentful that Why? John didn't. Because John, like oh, everyone, loves John. Everyone idiots. John sort of, idiots are annoyed that it wasn't John that yeah. killed the, the night. Uh, I mean, Absolutely I can't true. think of anything more stupid. Well, no, it's really funny because uh, because Maisie Williams was talking about this, and she her worry when she read the script was that people would think she didn't deserve it, that it deserved to be John. And she said, you know, it had to be done very carefully because it's the main villain of the show and they don't want it to be anticlimactic. And so her thing was, you know, you know, could it be bad that some hundred pound girl comes in, stabs him and he dies? Uh, and apparently, <laughs> apparently she's, when she told her boyfriend what was going to happen, his exact response was, mm, should be John though, really, shouldn't it? <laughs> so she's like, That's cheers! Cool. But isn't, but right, from the little I know of Game of Thrones so far, this is 
kind of only the first battle, right? And the, actually the most important one is still to come. So they, we're not robbing John of his hero moment, yeah. which I'm, yeah, he that, inevitably right. will have. Yeah. His hero moment lies ahead. And I have to tell you, from the three episodes I've watched, that boy needs to get a fucking personality. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be following him in into no battle, I'm telling you. He has not... You're absolutely right. What is, what is going on with his characterisation? I agree. But that's, he is, it's, as in with a lot of these kind of shows, the, the bloke, the heroic bloke at the centre of it, with all due respect to him and the acting and everything... Is a bit of a nothing, yeah. yeah. I've always thought that about Jon Snow. I he's don't a, think he's a nothing. What happens to Jon Snow is more interesting than him, than that character, whereas the start was Arya Stark is a fucking brilliant character in her own right, and it totally made sense that she was the one who got the big moment. But he may, you're right, he may well not be the one who kills Cersei, for example. You know, I can, no, you can I think see that Jamie happening. will kill Cersei. Well... That, but I think that's what we're expecting to happen. Yeah. And I think they might do Maybe. another pour the rug from under thing. But that battle with Cersei's hordes, which will be the next big thing, <laughs> the battle thing, yeah, any of them could, could do that. But I thought it totally was perfect. Because you have the surprise of her sudden arrival. But did you notice the little moment? There's a shot just before she arrives where one of the White Walkers, you see its hair flicks. Because the, 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 essentially the, yes. the air of her passing, yes. its hair flicks that and it was turns brilliant. to look. It turns to yeah, look to see great. what's happening. That was so see, and she's out of out of shot. And then she just comes flying in. Yeah. Presumably because she's so small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I, so and again, just beautifully executed. Yeah, the those way, details are f- absolutely yeah, incredible. The way it yeah. grabs her hand, she drops it, grabs it with yeah, the other the hand. You know, was that. Beautifully, beautifully yeah. rendered. Yeah. Because it's, I really like the stage before that where um the the all the people who've just been killed suddenly became undead. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. make the whole thing even more Leanna Mormon, Dolores yeah. Ed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean thought that was fantastic. That. It's all quite traumatic. Yeah. There's that lovely moment also when you think because Daenerys saves John, so clearly she's not been that stroppy, so she does come back yeah. to save him. And then Drogon gets swamped and Jorah comes in out of again nowhere to save her. But there's a a particular moment in the fight have you noticed where she's like he's on his knees and she's standing next to him and then she looks around and then she moves out the way and someone comes in and sticks a sword in him she's like oh hang on no you want him not me it's just like he's not a human shield I felt really bad for him it's how he would how he would have wanted to go I think do you think yeah well, because he's in love with her, like he's obsessed with her, and yeah, he's, he's yeah. fallen out with yeah. her. She's banished him. He's yeah, his whole life was her respect yeah. again, and finally he gets to die saving yeah. her. So yeah. I think in the whole everything, all that entire story has been building up to that. His whole story is building up to that in yeah. the same way. Yeah. yeah. What do we? You, you've you've skipped over um, Theon. Theon, yes, Theon's redemption. Cause I thought because I thought um, Alfiana was fantastic. He's I amazing. Have to say, he was absolutely brilliant. In I thought moment. that was the most yeah. m- moving death, apart from um, Little Lass. Oh yeah, Leon. <laughs> apart from Little yeah. Lass, mainly because I found that really traumatic when it's he's basically breaking her body in his hands mm. and blood. I found that really yeah, that horrible, difficult yeah. to watch. Yeah. But just on pure kind of like em- emotional level, that was the one that because he he knew what was happening and the, yeah. the, the look he shares with Bram, where he's clearly there's an unspoken thing which is I'm going to make this right yeah Bran forgives him and that moment that look that passes between them and he just charges into death yeah fantastic yeah absolutely brilliant yeah and then just he, he, what he's been through again in that show again I, I just feel like you you actually sit there watching and you think that actually may well have mapped this out from the very very first series all the way through how, how these characters are going to end up and I mean or, or you know who knows 
I, presumably they have. I it, it feels that way to I, me. Like, I, it feels how yeah. they've evolved. I think that may be generous of you. Okay. Because um, I, I think because of the way Martin writes, I don't think he will have known. I mean, I think, I think he knows how certain certain characters end up, and even that is changing. Right. Uh, so I think they probably didn't because they were following his lead to a point. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think since they took over mm. for the last few seasons, I think, yeah, they probably have joined the dots quite a lot there. But th- yeah, that was a beautiful end to that character. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, you have that... that look on Davos's face when she walks out into the sun he watches her kind of disintegrate and there's a lovely shot to end the show on as well just her crumpling into the shot. snow yeah that was that was yeah, again yeah beautifully beautifully done again all part of the the murky kind of you know visual design if yeah. you like because mm. that again it ended up looked 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 fantastic and if it hadn't have been if it all been if it if it all taken place during the day for example yeah. as the battle of the bosses didn't yeah. it that yeah. was def- one of the reasons that was so different because that felt that was all done in the day and it was mm. just a completely different type of thing but the murkiness did pay off in, in those beautiful yeah, images. Yeah, you've got the dawn, it ends with the yeah. dawn, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Fantastic. In terms of body count, if we think about major characters that died, so Theon, Jorah, Leanna Mormont, Dolorous Ed Tollett, <laughs> love Dolorous Ed, don't you, Terry, he's your favourite, isn't he? <laughs> Uh, Beric Dondarrion and Melisandre, but that's it. I know, and I, the only ones who died. And I, so if I'm, I am going to be picky here, and I, this is why I feel like. I, I, I think, I mean, in a way, they want to have all their main characters, don't they? Like around, so we can have the, in the final three episodes, as it work, as we find out who mm. in the end up having power and who doesn't, who dies and who doesn't. It kind, of, I, I felt it was a bit of a, I don't know, slightly disappointing and and also slightly just unbelievable, just on on a, on mm. a, in terms of credulity, stretch yeah. credulity for everyone to survive that onslaught <laughs> of fucking thousands of undead zombies who seemingly could hardly, could, you know, it was almost impossible to kill them off anyway, and yet all the major characters survived. I did, I didn't quite buy it. I, I feel that I, you could, I think you could have had one or maybe two major major characters yeah, die because saying, realistically, yeah. even the ones who did die, they're all a little bit. I mean, Theon maybe, but no, none of the top tier characters even no. came close, yeah. and I just feel that felt a little bit like a cop out yeah, but I, I was really prepared to watch everyone die like I was <laughs> m- like emotionally girded against this eventuality well that's what happen. everyone was expecting right yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. with major sorrow major yeah. grief and then you have to recalibrate to start again for the final three episodes exactly yeah but at the end of this episode all the Dothraki are dead pretty much all the Unsullied are dead Apart from Grey Worm, who amazingly is still alive as well. Yeah, even uh, he survived. I know. I, I mean, know, yeah, I know. really. So, yeah. in terms of the Northmen and the armies of the area, I mean, loads of them are dead. So, you've got to wonder what the state of her army is at this point going forward. She's definitely got one dragon, possibly a second dragon. But it does make it, that sets up the, 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 the battle to yes, come. Because Cersei's they're more horribly right. depleted mm-hmm. forces. Yeah, but I think that makes sense because now it's going to make that a, a kind of more of an even fight, isn't it? Because, oh, by the way, another thing for me, I've missed uh, two whole episodes without Cersei. Is a big, big draw. Yeah, mm. but oh, I suspect we're going to be back with Avengers to the max. Next week. She's yeah. in the trailer heavily. Yeah, yeah. And, and and they seem to. I think they're kind of you know with three episodes to go. I think they're going to deal in a major way with with the clash with with Cersei next week. Yeah. So my question for you is, as 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 a massive Game of Thrones nerd, because. Mm. Um, for Terry, this is one of the greatest TV episodes of all time. I saw a lot of people said that mm-hmm. on Twitter. I was looking on social media. People were like, "This is that. what about? Where does it stand for you in the, in the pantheon of Game of Thrones episodes? Like compared to Battle of the Bastards and the Red Wedding, like the real standout legendary episodes? It's 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 difficult to." Pinpoint. I mean, in terms of technical accomplishment, it's unparalleled. Like, there's yeah. nothing even close to it in terms of what they've achieved on screen. But I. I think character weight and and character interplay and character development are 
and same with you, are where I, what I came to Game of Thrones for, what I mm. truly love. Uh, and this is more a spectacle episode. So it's unarguably up there among the very, very best of them. Is it one of my favourite episodes? Yes, I would say so. Is it my absolute favourite Probably not. I think Battle of the Bastards is is slightly smaller scale. I think Battle of the Bastards has more emotional weight. Mm. So this has all the spectacle uh, and ingenuity, and it's absolutely incredible. But in terms of emotional weight, no one that we'd love, let's be honest, sorry, Theon, mate, uh, no one that we truly love dies. Whereas if you look at the Battle of the Bastard and what happens to uh, John's little brother Rickon, you know, that's horrific. And then obviously the, the death of Ramsay at the end of it. There's a lot of emotional weight in that episode as well as lots of spectacle mm, mm. so I think that would probably be an episode that I prefer but yeah, only okay, because it has same. that combination of factors to it and it's more textured but frankly if you put the two against each other in terms of which is the most kick-ass television then this wins hands down yeah I think it's an incredible achievement I think it's one of the greatest achievements in TV yeah, without a doubt like ever, but I have I have episodes that I prefer to it right that is our dissection of the latest episode of Game of Thrones and that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast we very much hope you enjoyed it if you would like to show your appreciation then a five star review on iTunes is an excellent way to do that however I also have some homework for you all this week we would be enormously grateful if every one of you would force yes force three of your friends or enemies we're not fussy to listen to this episode of the podcast as well think of it as the podcast equivalent of the Star Trek The Next Generation episode The Game in which they force the crew of the Enterprise to play an addictive video game which spreads like a virus converting everyone and allowing it to control their minds not that that's what we're doing I'm not listening it's also a bit like when AOC says if you tell five people yeah Yes. Me, and you tell five more people. Yeah. Do it for AOC. Yeah. Do it for AOC. Tell five people about this podcast. Not three, five. <laughs> Make them listen to it. Let it spread like a grassroots campaign. Uh, and we will throw off the campaign that really counts. I yes. feel like our cause is um, uh, oh. not quite so noble. No. I don't know what you're talking about. In addition to that, as hip tech savvy media types, we are on all the Twitters. And you can track us down at Terry underscore White, at Boyd Hilton at James C. Dyer, and at Pilot TV Mag. We will be back next week for more of the same. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have another 10 episodes of Bosch to watch. Pilot out.